Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about the sequel that knows it's a sequel and won't let you forget it, Scream 2. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, my co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Ah, yeah, second verse, same as the first. Next up, my frequent collaborator, comics artist, and certified murder boyfriend aficionado, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Um, I'm alive. That's something. I'm one of the final girls. This movie has a whole final, this series has a whole final crew. <laughs> it does. And it's our fine. special guest tonight, friend of the podcast, and one of the hosts of Gotham Outsiders, a Batman book club, TJ Finnessy. How are you tonight, TJ? Hello, I'm good. I am always down to talk about Scream and, you know, I'm excited to be here per usual. Yeah, we're so we're happy to have you. you. Yeah, I'm <laughs> Yes. Yes, we're we're talking a lot of uh sequels both of both to other episodes of our podcast and the movies we've already talked about. So, uh this is this is <laughs> going to be a fun group of uh podcasts. Um now a little bit about this. It's uh Scream 2, obviously. Uh, same crew as the first one as far as the writer and director. It is directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson. Uh, so it has all the same snark and blood that you would expect from the first one. Well, the first one came out in 96, and then this came out in 97. So they must have had to have gone right into the sequel after the first one was done. Yeah, apparently Kevin Williamson like wrote up like a one-page treatment of the sequel when he wrote Scream. And then they greenlit it like after the first weekend because Scream did so well in theaters. My one sentence review for this movie would be not as good as the first one, but as good as a Scream sequel like could be. That's fair. Like, again, not being as good as the first Scream is a very high bar. And just because you don't clear that doesn't mean you don't clear the bar of being a very enjoyable and good movie. Now, in the first 15 minutes of this movie, they do make a point of saying that sequels are never as good as the first movie. So (laughs) I feel like they're living up to their own expectations there. Yeah, Um, there's a lot of a lot of this movie was talking about tropes that it really didn't subvert. (laughs) Yeah, nothing will ever achieve the level of accidental cell phone of X-Men Apocalypse saying the third one is always the worst. (laughs) yeah but that was funny yeah Yeah. a lot of people think this one is better than the first one i'm not one of those people Mm. some people also pretend the third and fourth ones don't exist i'm not one of those people this one is certainly more of the first one because the cast on this one is like they must have spent all of their money on the cast because it's Nev campbell courtney cox david arquette jamie kennedy sarah michelle geller jada pinkett smith Omar Epps, Timothy Oliphant, Elise Neal, Leah Schreiber, Jerry O'Connell, Dwayne Martin, Rebecca Gayhart, Portia de Rossi, Heather Graham, Tori Spelling, Luke Wilson, Laurie Metcalf, and Joshua Jackson, who's just there to deliver two lines. Joshua uh, Jackson yep. as film student number one. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this was a year before, like Dawson's Creek did not exist yet. Kevin Williamson had not made Dawson's Creek. Like, did he already know Joshua Jackson or was he just doing this one? was like, whoa, film student number one has got it. 
I just like to imagine Kevin Williamson as a huge Mighty Ducks fan. Oh, I hope that's the case too. Was Emilio Estevez ever in like Dawson's Creek? I hope he was. Should have been. Otherwise, it's a missed opportunity. Right? Get a little For fucking real. Mighty Ducks reunion. Kevin Williamson, I hope you didn't miss that opportunity. I'm not going to look it up and check. This movie kind of gets it coming and going with the cast because there's a whole bunch of like stunt casting around the movie inside the movie. And then like there's several people like Timothy Oliphant who won't be like a superstar for another 10 years after this movie comes out. But like that they're like, yeah, he's great. We're going to put him, you know, in a major role in this movie. He's great. He's wonderful. Like, hmm. I'm glad we watched this after Demon Knight so we can fully appreciate Jada Pinkett's individual role in horror history because she's yeah. a major player and she's a pretty major figure in horror movie history. Absolutely. And you guys know I'm excited Sarah Michelle Geller's here for like two I seconds. Com- <laughs> I, again, I know we watched this movie like two and a half months ago. I completely fucking forgot Sarah Michelle Keller was in this movie. <gasps> Those were the best two seconds, Emily. They were though. Like I really enjoyed her. I like I enjoyed her character. Um, and it was funny because I was like, oh yeah, David Arquette's in this. Oh yeah, Buffy the Vampire. Oh wait, Sarah Michelle Keller wasn't in the movie with <laughs> David Arquette when he was in the in the Buffy movie. And he wasn't in the show with Sarah Mich- Michelle Geller, which also is a missed opportunity because who wouldn't want that? spoilers but or is he david arquette's implausible survival in these movies is my favorite running joke yeah i mean i mean that's that's a spoiler for the first movie as well like he he should yeah. not survive for multiple reasons um but i'm glad that he does because that means i'm gonna continue watching the movies because deputy dewey is the best oh, yeah. character i'm sorry i'm sorry Good nev luck. you're beautiful but i, I uh, know get was- weathers well, I was just about, uh, yes, but I was just about <laughs> to say, like, as much as Sydney is the main girl and like the final girl, at no point during the film did I ever think Gail was in any actual danger. Like, even when things are so, like, you're like, oh, a terrible thing is happening to Gail. Like, I'm just like, it's it's Gail. She's fine. Yeah. Um. And she. Yeah, and, and so the, the IMD explanation of this one is pretty basic. Two years after the first series of murders, as Sydney acclimates to college life, someone donning the ghost face costume begins a new string of killings. Uh, as for the scare level, where would you guys put this? Is it spoopy as not scary, spooky as a little scary, uh, straight up terrifying, or existentially disconcerting? Definitely spoopy, but can we just appreciate for a moment that in-universe has a bigger time skip than the actual real-time time skip between the movies yeah i don't know if that makes it spookier but i'm i'm still with the spookiness i Um, just like the idea that they're like well it's clearly gonna take more than one year for them to make a movie out of this i mean not us we're making this shit in like five months but they're gonna need at least (laughs) like a year there's gonna be marketing and two years that sounds plausible say it's spooky to me i think it's scarier than the first one i don't find the first one that scary this one, like the scene we were just talking about with Gail and Ghostface, like that always really stresses me out. And um, there was one other part. It'll come back to me. The, scene, the, the car scene. Yes, the police car. Scary. That was the one that to me felt like a level of tension that the first one didn't have. And that was def- in terms of scares. To me, that was a highlight. And the theater rehearsal 
was a highlight. Yeah. Also, what the fuck is up with theater professor Gus Gold? Who is this fucking monster casting Sydney <laughs> in a play where she's chased and stabbed by masked men? First of Who all, does that? David Warner does that. That's insane. Because, <laughs> well, yeah. and it's he David more Warner. Again, yeah. amazing casting. Gus Gold, you PTSD triggering monster. What the fuck? He's angry because he's like um, an erudite uh, professor who, from Britain whose name is Gus. <laughs> I mean, he's he's clearly Augustus Gold. Um, like, yeah, yeah assume, like why does he call I, like I Gus? I it was short for Gus Annald. <laughs> Gus Annald, yes. Yeah, I'm, I think it's spooky. I think there are some generally some genuinely good like slasher jumps in this where you know somebody just pops out from around the corner and you know you're gonna jerk back from the tv if you're if you're you know really paying attention um yeah like the sarah michelle geller gets some good like slasher jump scares yeah and honestly as far as trigger warnings i think this one is not as bad as the first one there's lots of blood uh the usual amount of gaslighting for a horror movie um harassment uh there's also some some eye trauma if that's a thing for you uh that's the one thing in this movie that got me was the the eye trauma um jerry o'connell's character is a good dude but he's really straight so just be warning extremely hetero jerry (laughs) o'connell extreme straightness Who's straight? He has a he is in khakis and a polo the whole fucking movie yeah, like they take it off and there's just khakis and a polo underneath it. Um, okay. They actually had to build a body for him that was like a prosthetic like chest. So um, if he took up his clothes, because otherwise it was just khakis all the way down. Um, <laughs> there's a little bit khakis. of <laughs> there's a little bit of uh, homophobia, I think, just a little tiny bit with the um, I think it was Randy. Jamie. Yeah, Jamie. Jamie, which again part of the course for jamie kennedy's comedy yeah he is not a compliment more jamie kennedy in this movie than he was in the first one um in in horrible and in in very like solidly negative ways he's doing impersonations and and making slightly homophobic jokes and yeah it's just not not the greatest oh he he got what was coming to him yeah yeah he oh when he has like how would you I you improve the sequel? The nerd gets the girl and then he does the breaths where I'm like, ah, oh, oh, I'm on a rewatch and I'm oh, I can't wait till you fucking get what's coming, Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, let's uh, skip into the spoilery section here. So let's talk a little bit about what happens in Scream 2. I feel like we can't talk about the movie without mentioning that the first line of this movie is I hate scary movies, um, which is fantastic. Yeah. Especially considering what? the like running do you like scary movies of the first movie that you know you start off the sequel with uh with jada saying uh, i hate scary movies to me what immediately ground the movie in the 90s and made me truly feel the weight of time was the line no one's paying 750 for some sandra bullock shit <laughs> i was like That's wow weird. seven seven fifty movie tickets oh fucking bless. what an era seven fifty movie tickets at night 750 movie tickets that's the price of the fucking popcorn now yeah yeah are, yeah. are we gonna okay. talk about how the first scene is uh 
the two of the main black characters in the movie and they die first or are we going to talk about the nightmare <laughs> that is this movie screening of stab okay you started this movie off with a black couple talking about every trope uh in film and then well i feel like for as much as the movie wants to be meta about sequels and all that there is nothing more self-aware than meta than having Jada Pinkett, star of Demon Knight, one of maybe three or four black movie pro- horror movie protagonists at that point in history, be the one to complain about there not being enough black protagonists in horror movies is just mwah, chef's kiss. I'm glad we watched Demon Knight so we can just appreciate the next levelness of it being Jada Pinkett of all people delivering that line. Right. Yeah, I can't decide how I feel about the fact that it knows how cliche it is to introduce black characters and kill them off immediately in this movie. Like the it only clearly thing... knows and it thinks it's funny. And I'm not sure whether it is or not. <laughs> the only again, and it's bad. The only thing it's not credit to the movie, but an at least it wasn't worse award is at least they're not the only black characters in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. There is the black best friend who occasionally asks whether the main character is okay or not. She mm-hmm. doesn't have a role. It's a terrible role. With gives the actress nothing to work with. Nope. And but she at also least dies. It, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's, Again, let's talk my, about. It's not much of a defense of killing off Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett, aka two amazing actors who, in their short screen time, bring so much charisma. Well, the yeah. cameraman lives. I like how he's like, "I'm out." Like, oh, yeah. fucking Good for you. Joel, Joel, you mean Joel. the smart? You mean Joel. the smartest fucking person in this whole franchise? No Absolutely. disrespect. Who, who reads the book? Nope's the fuck out. Says, "I'll be back when you catch the killer," and then does exactly fucking that. Joel, who literally says, "You know what? My bad. I should have read your book before I took this job. Now I did, and I'm leaving." Yeah. <laughs> Well, apparently the only way for a black person to survive a slasher like this is just to leave. There's rumors he's going to be in the new one coming out, and I'm like, please don't kill Joel. Yeah, I know. You better fucking survive. I want to talk a little bit about this movie premiere at the beginning, but before we do, I want to talk about Stab a little bit, because I love this thing. I love that they got Robert Rodriguez to direct the fake Scream movie. I love that Heather Graham plays Drew Barrymore. I did not know that. Heather I love Graham. I love it, it won't happen until later when they show another scene from the movie that they literally have a callback in the casting of Stab, which is like Tori Spelling plays Sydney. And in the first movie, like when they ask Sydney who's gonna play her in the movie about her, she's like, God, knowing my luck, it'd probably be Tori Spelling. Spelling, yeah. Oh, oh my, I did not pick up on that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, can then, we talk the and then fucking, fucking Luke Wilson? <laughs> the, gal- the galaxy brain casting of Luke Wilson as <laughs> Billy Loomis. With the hair and he's brushed out. And the choice of scene, too, that they specifically choose the God, Sydney, get over your mom's death and bang me scene. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's it's fantastic. I, when I, Luke, I love everything TJ, about how, the movie Stab. Because my first time watching this movie was a few months ago and TJ and I watched it together. TJ, how much did I freak the fuck out when Luke Wilson showed up as Billy Loomis? Very freaked out. Who I want to buy a drink to whoever came up with the idea of what if Luke Wilson as Skeet Ulrich? 
<laughs> Supposedly the the film the stab film within a film is on a flash drive somewhere like in the studio locked up and I'm like please release it as like an extra or something. I want to know how much they actually refilmed. I want to know how so many shots credit- there are of that Jiffy I Pop hope they, container. I hope they went full Snyder. They're like, "What? Why is Green Lantern here?" <laughs> <laughs> Did they actually credit Robert Rodriguez in the uh, in like the credits of Stab? I didn't I didn't catch that bit. Uh, I don't think he is credited. It is on the IMDb page along with okay. the fact that uh, the friend that Cece is talking to in Cece's scene is Selma Blair. Um, oh, like, Selma oh, Blair wow. does the voice of the friend. The fucking <laughs> right. cast of this movie, like Portia de Rossi is in it, fucking already playing like Lindsay Bluth. Well, and this Lindsay came Funke. out before Cruel Intentions, so it's not even a reference to Cruel Intentions with Selma Blair and Sarah Michelle Gellar. That's so funny. You mentioned Portia de Rossi being in it. She's got like two lines, and one of them is the funniest shit in this movie. It's, her, she has two lines, and she works them so hard. She's so memorable in in an absolutely nothing role. What She's is through, it? Hello, and I really mean that. Hello. Oh yeah, hi. What do, I, no, I really no, mean like, that. Honestly, I. It's like hello. I really mean like. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm like I didn't doubt you before. I mean, I didn't think I had any reasons to doubt somebody did, saying hello to me. Did you? Did you not actually? greet me before like what what the fuck what kind of fucking mind game do jujitsu bullshit is that i know fuck it goes all the way back around like that'll stop me in my tracks like if somebody's like hi now i really mean that hi i would just freeze it'd be like uh exe is stopped functioning if someone told that to me in real life i would immediately seek out a therapist and start therapy (laughs) Maybe that's uh, what I need to like hasten the referral process. <laughs> yeah. So this this movie premiere is a nightmare scenario to me on every level. The like giving everybody ghost face masks and and robes. Like first of all, somebody would actually die at this thing. There is no question in my mind. Um, yeah. The like insanity of that theater. The way they're just throwing shit everywhere. That like the Poor idea staff. of working at that theater is just the fucking worst. My oh my god, problem. the people that must have to clean up. Like, even if there had been blood and murder everywhere, like, the cleanup. I have yeah. seen comic conventions that are, actually, every comic convention I have been to has been less unruly than this fucking theater, which I don't care what they say. Is no way that 300 people were in that theater. Um, and it still was a mess. But yeah, what kind of fucking culture... Is, is the scream of us like this is not like movies like being like hey we made up an idea for a horror movie and we really want to hype up the premiere this was a real life massacre that happened the year before last this is like making a party movie out of name a massacre from 2019 oh yeah don't actually insert your own there there were plenty of them right it's like if like, the conjuring was made right after like whatever happened there like hey i like <laughs> like hey they're making the las vegas shooting movie let's get the party goodies they're giving out it's like mm. what the fuck this was a real people and not i believe the crassness of making a movie but no marketing department was like hey is this in slightly bad taste <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> is this real life hey. horrific massacre that actually happened in real life? Do we maybe want to tone it down a little? Yeah, I was talking about I mean, when we watched the first movie, I talked about what ghouls everybody who went to Sydney school were. And apparently in the scream verse, like just everybody is on that level. Everybody are morbid fucking ghouls. Yeah. This is like the, how the Tarantino universe, like the the Inglorious Bastards ending World War Two in their way, or Shoshana ending it World War Two caused everyone to just be super hyper violent obsessed, and that's why all the other movies happen. Like, is this kind of like there was a slasher villain at who? affected history at some point so deeply that now everyone is just like totally murder celebratory yeah i mean going off of what you're saying like my main problem with the scene and problem stemming from like i know this is a film and i have to suspend my disbelief but i don't believe that this is a premiere it feels more like a rocky horror picture show reenactment like level hype and so like i don't know in terms of that i'm like it doesn't really fit and this is something that'll come up in scream four again and make a bit more sense but oh that's good to know though yeah um, foreshadowing for you as much as i'm banging on, i'm not banging on the concept it's ludicrous it's goofy and it is done pushing it to 11 which is the only fucking way i want it I just like, again, my role on this podcast is to be the one being like, hey, I have a fucking question about this. Yeah, I, what I have a question about is the Bugs Bunny fucking shit that they do to kill Omar Epps, where like, there's somebody making noise, making moaning noises in the next like stall over. So he puts his head to the stall wall and they fucking managed to stab through this solid wall which like fine, so, a big enough knife could go through there, but they get him like right, right in the temple. Like, so are we revealing who got, the like, killers are? Yet, yeah, do we want to say who the killers are? We're in the spoiler section. Baby. Okay, so I want to know what part of Timothy Oliphant and Lori Metcalf's plan involved. Like, yeah, no, and then I, Lori Metcalf, go into the men's bathroom and just pretend to use the urinal for a few minutes. <laughs> oh my god, what if it was her? I, I, I want it to be her. I, well, considering the voice, I'm pretty sure it was him. Because I think she wasn't really going around in the mask. I think she was just like, hey, you're dumb and crazy. You're put on this mask and act like a dipshit. Well, she killed Randy. So like, oh, she killed the shit out of Randy. Oh, yeah, yeah. she killed Randy. Randy. And she's the one that stabs David Arquette. Yes, um, she is. Because oh, okay. that had to have been Olaf. Because that had to have been Oliphant. And, she uh, looks like she's yeah, racist. Oliphant is in the car because yes. he has the head wound yeah, okay. from crashing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, okay. I mean, I, so I'm guessing it's both of them. I'm guessing seen. they did like, but it's both of them at the urinals together, being like, "Look, <laughs> this is our premiere. Like, I don't know. Like, like we're gonna do teamwork. Okay, we got, got a this. water bottle. Like, I don't know if we can do it. Yeah. Oh, like, like, how many um, people walked in? Like, were they targeting Omar Epps, or they're just like, "Aha! I knew our urinal trap would eventually work." According to Courtney Cox's theory later on they particularly chose these two people at this theater to kill because their names line up with other people's names which is insane considering this like first scene that like they knew well, that these two no people way. were, they these also two were, going, people to were going to this movie and they just like 
followed them into the movie. Like, yeah, I mean, was different. it like where they hang down the back and they're being like, okay, shit, okay, for good. Omar Epps got up. Like, okay, I'll go to the bathroom. You go to the snack line. And I don't know. We'll see which one he goes and kill him there. <laughs> that bathroom with all the hieroglyphs, though. I like, love that bathroom. It's perfectly, perfectly normal. Is it? I'm sure. Yes. I mean, where There's does this take place? There's somebody in a bathroom occasionally. Because is this in California? Because that definitely like looks like the crazy shit, like the kind of kooky Hollywoody shit that like old Hollywood that I've seen movie theaters in California do a bunch. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's got to be for, for it to, I mean, for, for this well, to be a premiere of the movie, regardless, it feels like it would need to be New York or LA adjacent, and it's not I New York. I think it's supposed to be New York or something because the um or you know, somewhere that's not California because they say specifically on the news like these teens that were killed in California. So and I assume that if they were in California, the newscaster would be like, "It was in California, the place we are currently we are in. currently in." Yeah, they would say um uh oh they would they would say about where the one more, okay I another thought about the movie itself. It says filmed in Stabovision. Yeah, right. What does that mean? What is Stabovision? I want to know. Yeah. Wes Craven, come back to life and explain to me Stabovision. (laughs) I I know there's no good explanation. Make one up. I'll be satisfied with anything. I yeah. I want to know what Stabovision is too. I mean, I guess this is it. You, when you get stabbed at the theater, that's stab vision. Yeah. I think we did. I guess we did see stabbings. When when yeah. you get stabbed and gloriously die, screaming in front of the uh, of the actual projector, <laughs> you're dying. Yeah, Jada Jada does a great scream and fall at the end of this first scene, which is is really really fantastic was anyone so else expecting them to hold on that scene a little while longer and have everyone going like "Ooh, this is part of the show clap 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 yeah i wasn't sure like you could go either way with that i feel like yeah okay. i wanted the movie to commit a little bit more to the bit um but you know it it was still like this is well, at that point i was like Wait, have everybody like trope? taking off their masks and being all concerned about it so like you know have to go have to go one way or another and they chose Ernest, which doesn't line yeah. up with the way audiences are represented anywhere else in this movie nope what i <laughs> what i want to know is how many takes did omar epps have to do of that very slow deliberate speed of falling to the floor after getting stabbed in the side of the because it's not like oh i'm dead it's not like a fight back it's this very deliberate like Oh, I'm still alive, am I? Oh, maybe no. <laughs> I mean, I brain. don't know. I'm my. I was oh, absolutely. He Brains are weird. Long, I'm. I'm. <laughs> I was fairly certain he'd go. He'd go down like a fish at that point. Like, um, yeah. So that that opening scene is a lot of fun. We we have a sort of you know title card and jump to uh, college where Sydney and Hallie. Uh, who is played by Elise Neal, who's Sydney's uh, college roommate, um, are getting harassing like, phone calls from people who have seen this great movie. And uh, Sydney reveals that not only does this brave new world of, you know, one year later have, uh, have cellular phones all over the place, but they've got caller ID. So I, good. I love 
Because again, that first scream really does exist in such a weird nebulous time of technology. Yeah. yeah. I, like, I was talking to Alicia as we were watching this and I was like, yeah, it's a big plot point in Scream 1 that like Billy has a cellular phone. And then in this it's... one, there's like a whole scene dedicated to them chasing people with cell phones around the quad. Although they it's... don't seem to figure out how cell phones work exactly because they're like, okay, everyone we can see with a cell phone what are windows <laughs> i guess cell phones only work within light of sight I, like a walkie-talkie i i love caller id just being an instant game changer yeah and it's a weird caller id too but i mean i guess it's not like i guess that's how it worked back then i can't remember caller id it, it does on a little like pager thing it does feel like a good way of signaling sequel like aha like the big tool from the first one like now the hero has already figured out how to disarm it so now the villain is going to have a new bag of tricks mm. but also the phone element of the first one was such a unique compelling atmospheric way of delivering horror that I definitely to a, not to a huge degree but I definitely did feel its absence in this uh, sequel yeah, yeah. I like this moment because it just shows like Sydney isn't taking any shit from anyone. And I just love that about her. She says hot flash instead of news flash, which I'm like, is that a thing? I didn't notice that. I, yeah, she's like hot flash. It's I got caller ID, Corey Willits from Willits. You know what menopause is like, Corey? You will. <laughs> well, if they're in California, maybe it was a hot flash. Yeah, and maybe it was Willits. So but. yeah, Sydney... Sydney has changed and grown, and you know who hasn't? Randy, because he's he's still Jamie Kennedy, being <sighs> even more Jamie Kennedy than he was in Fuck the first it. movie. Uh, he's in film class with uh, new characters: Mickey, played by Timmy, Timothy Oliphant, Cece, played by Sarah Michelle Gellar, and uh, I guess Pacey. He's never named <laughs> film student one, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who is played by Joshua Jackson. And has all of two lines before he disappears for the rest of the movie. Joshua Jackson, who I think was still making Mighty Ducks movies. I don't know. Like he's he was playing characters all over the place. Yeah, the, in this scene, they're talking about squeakles, and um, they're like, "Which which?" They're like, "Is the killer trying to make a sequel of the movie?" You know, and um, it's very critical thinking one hundred and one. But yeah. the the <laughs> the kids just start completely i don't know maybe the the film class is like this every single day because i mean you know why wouldn't it be it's a film class the teacher is doing nothing the, teacher the teacher's is, just watching them talk about sequels and i'm like okay. Jamie Kennedy. that's not a grad student that's just a grad student <laughs> who's who's teaching like the you know the, oh, that, the friday part of the class fucking <laughs> jamie just kennedy old- <laughs> is just is holding court in his alamo draft house throne right <laughs> And he is wrong about the get away from her, you bitch line. Yeah. Because he says, no, I think it's stay away from her, you bitch. And I'm like, no, Randy, it's get away. I saw this recently, (laughs) asshole. Um, And so they're also talking about uh, how media affects people. And it's just really funny. I wish I had more to say about this because my, my father was a professor at Sac State who actually taught a class about how media affects children um and uh, badly i 
it's weird because like i didn't i didn't i don't remember a lot of what the conclusions were from a lot of those theses that he spoke of um in his class uh he did go on tv and talk about how mortal Kombat was bad um look i watched and played mortal Kombat all the time as a very small child and i clearly turned out not okay so he <laughs> obviously had a point well and it's funny because he would say like you know all these these kids are um being affected and desensitized by by television but then again my daughter's 14 and her favorite movie's natural board killers so <laughs> um I turned out okay, maybe. I don't know. Seems legit. Um, yeah. So uh, I I was limited to how much TV I could watch, but if he was watching something, I could I could watch whatever he was watching, which you know got to watch a lot of Cheers. Oh yeah, that got me through a lot of loopholes too. And good thing my dad's TV taste is fucking trash. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that they doubled down on randy being super into sydney and like yeah feeling like Ugh. entitled to her or like he's like earned her hated that here but uh, i'm real glad randy dies in this movie because yep. yeah yeah i thought I was, like, the, whatever randy would have been in the third movie i don't want to deal with that guy the yeah. first movie i talked about how you could have just slotted seth green in there for jamie kennedy Ugh. and it would have been like better like this one like no, now Randy is very specifically Jamie Kennedy. And I that's not a good thing. Yeah. Bless him. And we meet uh, Sarah Michelle Geller in this scene. And she yeah. is correct about Alien. I love when she says something like, you have a hard on for Cameron. Like that's, that line yeah. just stands out in my mind. Yeah. I I'm do gotta give him I feel like the whole question of like, oh, what sequel is better than the original? And I feel like two of the big ones that people would go for nowadays uh, don't like didn't exist back then. And I would say those are Spider-Man 2 and The Dark Knight are two kind of objective, like or not objectively, yeah. but widely considered sequels better than the original. Yeah. And they also have the discussion about Empire Strikes Back and Godfather 2. And they talk about Godfather 2, but then is that is part of a trilogy. It's not part of a tra a planned trilogy, though. When they put oh, the yeah, first yeah. one out, they did not plan to make a Godfather two. But let's be clear: which... at no point when this conversation, when this film discussion began, was no planned trilogies a rule. Jamie Kennedy is just fucking making things up like an asshole in order to just be right in his made up stupid argument. Absolutely makes sense for that character. Um, absolutely. On the other thousand hand, percent. The moment Timothy Oliphant showed up in this movie. I haven't seen this movie since it first came out. And like, I've seen a lot of things with Timothy Oliphant since this movie. And his stupid baby scruffy face just made me laugh so hard. I, seeing know. Him this. I was like, <laughs> this, this very tough baby oh. is <laughs> really going to fuck everybody up. He is a tough up. baby. He's like, I'm, oh, <laughs> I'm so, here and I like movies. So speaking of Oliphant, I do want to ask uh, everyone if, and maybe if it's been a while, I don't remember. That's cool. Uh, first time you watched this movie, did you piece together who any of the either of the killers were or why before the movie, like before the reveal? No, not really. I mean, I, all I remember the first time I watched this movie was the Cassandra scene. And that's it. Like I, 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 I fugued out the rest of the movie, I guess. Or maybe it was just on HBO and I was like. Oh hey, this is interesting, and then I didn't watch the rest of it. 
because I will say what this see what this movie absolutely thrives as as a sequel to Scream, I think is it's another great slasher who done it. It's another really well done who done it yeah. mystery with plenty of red herrings and twists and turns and as TJ will attest to, I, I didn't see Elephant coming, uh, but I did predict that Laurie Metcalf was one of the killers, but for a completely wrong reason. <laughs> I, I didn't actually pre- predict her, and I was—I felt like she was suspicious, yes, but I was—I uh, was expecting it was going to be um, what, Cotton. What really I thought throws she... me off in this is Jerry O'Connell because he is acting that character so creepy. Like, yeah, he's just he's just he's just a creepy college white guy. He's just a creepy pre-med fraternity college white guy of, of the sp- normal variety. But something about that in this movie is so fucking creepy. He is a straight yeah. white boy trying his best and doesn't realize that that level of effort is coming across as weird and creepy. But so what I thought I thought I guess that Lori Metcalf was the killer, but I thought it was because she was obsessed with Gail and trying to recreate it so Gail would have another huge story to cover and get more famous. Uh, That's a good It's like, look how much I love you, Gail. I killed for your career. I feel like I didn't see it coming the first time when I watched, I mean, it was was a while ago at this point, but like, I feel like both of the reveals are so, (laughs) like, I'm pretty sure when, um, what's his name? The killer, the guy. Uh, Mickey. Mickey. Mickey, Mickey. When Mickey is revealed at the end, I was like, who the fuck is that again? I <laughs> The problem I is that he's very prevalent in the first half of the movie and then possibly for reasons of the plot disappears for like the like from the halfway point to about the time that he is revealed. Uh, at which point, like Alicia who was watching this with me was like, wait, what? He did what? Like, I forgot I- he was even in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, first time I remember, like, I watched it, I definitely had the thought, it's like, man, it's been a long time since we saw Timothy Elephant, and then, like, five minutes later, he showed up as the killer. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, I didn't piece any of that together, but, yeah, like, I think the last we see of him is either in the hospital, uh, where he does drop a clue that he is the killer, that I didn't pick up on on my first time, where, like, he knows things that jerry o'connell did in the house that he couldn't have known if he wasn't the one in there um so it's either that or him just being jerry o'connell's musical wingman at which point (laughs) which is a whole scene right in my notes it's like oh shit we're back in anna and the apocalypse hell yeah (laughs) this thing wishes it was anna the apocalypse that whole scene we'll get to that scene when it happens Uh, (laughs) i enjoy that scene for being like yeah this is what for whatever, when musicals are happening and you think all oh, the cool choreographed and the dance beat and the instruments are going on, it's just this dumb shit. This is what musicals are really like. Yeah, just this... Jerry O'Connell and his fucking chinos. Yeah, I, I, what I appreciate is this scene where we have, where Jerry O'Connell enters this movie, which is Randy and Sydney are doing a walk and talk down this thing and they stop for a moment and they're framing the middle of the thing and Jerry O'Connell just walks up from the background and like steps over the railing and into the movie. And I was like, is he? Oh, oh okay. That's part of the thing. Okay. He's so tall. <laughs> Jumps, he just climbs so into the movie. He's, He's like Riker. Guy. He's like Riker just stepping over the captain's chair. <laughs> like 
they fear like they the movie throws out like a red herring a couple of times like ooh maybe Randy's the killer like hey maybe the one of the survivor from the first movie becomes the villain of the sequel and on the one hand I think that would have been such an interesting direction to take it but on the other hand that would have meant we would have had to have suffered through so much more Jamie Kennedy suffering yeah. is the right word yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. Can you imagine Jamie Kennedy delivering that like killer monologue at the end? I would I would hate the end of this movie. It would, there was lots of fake endings that they created for this one, and one of them leaked before the movie came out. And I, I want to say it was the boyfriend that in that ending and maybe someone else, but I'm, supposedly the real ending was always the one in the film. I'm glad that A, they filmed the alternate endings. A, because if I'm an actor getting cast in a Scream sequel, I really hope that I'm the killer because that's like the <laughs> most fun role to play. So I'm glad that even if you don't get to be the killer, like, hey, we'll still write you the scene and film it. And you know, you can, you can have a yeah. day of having fun and being the killer. Uh, and I'm also just really glad that it wasn't the boyfriend. And because I think it was like, it was supposed to be the boyfriend and the best friend who were the yeah. killers. And I, I'm glad it was because that would, I feel like that would have just been too much for Sydney. Yeah. And it like, all, I mean, I felt like the movie was trying to set up Derek. And I felt like that was the, the telegraphing of that was a little too obvious. And I'm like, okay, movie, you're, 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 you're trying to lure me away from what I actually should be paying attention to. So, um, Derek, just a painfully earnest white boy, as it turns out. Yeah, he just Painful. needed to go back to his own dimension. And it's like on paper, his apartment. It's a, he has a scene where it's like, so you want me to leave you alone? And I'm supposed to be OK with that. And it's like, don't say it like that. That's creepy. But right? I guess if, he, if he's not the killer, it's just like, OK, I'm struggling to handle everything, but I'm trying my best and I will respect that. I'm just wording this terribly. Right. I'm coming yeah. across so much worse than I actually am. It just happens that I'm a robot and I'm having a very, a lot of difficulty processing this. Um, yeah, this so this is where the, uh, we get the uh, reintroduction of Gail Courtney Cox, as well as her new cameraman, Joel, played by Dwayne Martin, who uh, is, is a local guy, but is, you know, happy to, happy to be working with a big star like her after, uh, you know, we, we find out that uh, Gail's book is, you know, what got turned into the movie Stab which I don't know why she's still doing like on the ground reporting gigs. If she just had like that, that movie open the same weekend. Um, yeah, no, she, the she thrill. should be on, I guess she she, should, yeah. I guess she's on, doing like, some like grassroots publicity for the movie by, <laughs> by she should doing be on this. like the soft cover book tour. Yeah. Yeah. You should just be writing books. You don't, you don't need to be like doing any of this scale. What the fuck? And she's, and she's parading also greeted by her. Weary. Yeah, she, she's greeted by her number one fan, Debbie Salt, who's played by uh, Laurie Metcalf, who uh, just wants to talk all about all the things from her book. And Gail's got no time for her for this this plebes bullshit. Uh, she's too <laughs> she's too busy trying to interrupt this press conference to make it all about her uh, instead of the two dead teens who who died at the uh, thing. So she wants to really bombard uh, Police Chief Louis Arquette with uh, a whole bunch of questions. I have no analysis or funny commentary. I just want to take a moment to appreciate how amazing Courtney Cox's black dress. Yeah. Well, her whole look is amazing throughout the film. She's great. Um, she is a fashion. Gail Weathers is a fashion icon. And you know what, Dewey? 
they are you're right they are nice streaks yeah she's got good highlights i'm thinking of <laughs> like she's a fashion icon have you have you seen her haircut in the the next one no okay. i don't remember it i'm so excited to, to hear your reactions about <laughs> her haircut <laughs> in the next oh one. my god what is that it's a meme what hold on People are like, that's the real oh, villain of Scream. Holy <laughs> shit. Is that Scream 3? Scream 3, Court, Nate Cox, haircut is You're the, not ready. The top. I, I, I sure <laughs> as fuck wasn't. <laughs> oh my god. I, I'm going to save it and let it wash over me when we watch the movie. <laughs> so, um, she has turf bangs. Oh no. Um, Indeed. Yeah, so we, we get I know more. she has... Uh, I know she has eyebrows, but I feel like she shouldn't with that haircut. She should have them like up here, like a courtesan. That's the Uh, haircut an alien ambassador has on Star Trek, the original series. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Or also known as a wig. Um, This is. Okay. Yeah, so we, we get the rest of our, our group wandering into this. Randy and Mickey are having more uh, nerdy film conversations um Sid- sydney is uh we meet the sorority sisters of the uh sorority to which sydney is pledging and i guess hallie is already part of uh they're played by gayhart and Darasi. uh they don't have much to do but they're fun uh they're they're, they're pretty generically dumb and terrible um cool subversion of more more tropes movie good job yeah the movie is definitely aware of this trope uh but Kevin Richardson would never not take the opportunity to just dunk on some sorority girls, I feel like. Yeah, well, okay, so the police chief Arquette, is is that any relation to David Arquette? I didn't yeah. look it up. Yeah, okay, so that's what I thought. But no Patricia Arquette. No. Because she's, she's over doing Lost Highway right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, or Lost speaking Highways. Of, speaking of David Arquette, Dewey uh, wanders back in to tell Sydney that... Um, he's he's going to protect her i don't know if this was the sound mixing on my tv or if everybody got this but i feel like the music in this movie is really like it's it's really heavy uh especially dewey has like this like western theme whatever he shows up it's like (laughs) it sounds like he has like he's the lone cowboy riding out to save everybody that's like boom boom yeah, yes. Dewey is <laughs> Sheriff Best Boy. <laughs> like I don't know if they're just Timothy making Oliphant fun of him or like what. Dewey has a line where like he's talking just about like who the kills me is like is something I forget the exact quote, but it's like I'll protect you from like whoever he is or she or them. And I know that he's t- like taking into account that there could be plural killers because it's what happened last time and it's what happens this time. But I just like to think that Dewey is being like, maybe the murderer's non-binary. <laughs> right? <laughs> I think you could interpret it that way. Like, you know, at the time, that might not have been what they meant, but I yeah. think you could. Honestly, that's how I first interpreted when he first said it. And it took me a while. And I, like, I had to pause, like, pause. Like, I'm like, whoa, Dewey's taking into account non-binary killers. That's the kind of representation I'm looking for. He was ahead of his time. And then I like I and then I wrote in my notes. I'm like, wait, he probably meant plural as in more than one people. That makes <laughs> that makes more sense because it's what happens. Right. Alas. Oh, I one thing I got to say about David Arquette is say what you will about his acting. He is a man who makes choices and goes for them because this limp in this movie is outrageous. 
Like, <laughs> something hard. And in this in this eventual scene where they're in the like film class and like he's limping down the stairs, he's just like flying, <laughs> but he is keeping yes. that limp going. <laughs> he is going the on hand. one leg, and then the, there's a point where they're being chased, and he like is doing the limp so hard he trips and rolls down the steps, and it was like, all right. David Arquette decided Dewey limps in this movie. Yeah, he really Wait, went now, for it. Spoilers for it, the end of this podcast. I don't know how the fuck this movie handles disabilities. Yeah, I don't I, know. To me, I it's... don't. I don't like. I don't mean to make fun of like people with limps, but like, no, I know. David Arquette no, no, is. We are going we are... hard on this limp. I need to be very clear. We are not making fun of limps. We are not making fun of nerve damage, uh, chronic conditions. We are making fun of the acting choices that the individual named David Arquette chose because he chose them real fucking hard. I mean, laugh when anyone falls. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, was that was that tumble that he took? Was that scripted? I don't know. It, he is- I, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that most of his role was scripted. <laughs> you know, I would say no if it weren't for some of the outrageous spills that Ghostface takes in these movies. Like, there is one point where that, where they are like chasing. I think it's Cece inside the house, and they like wipe <laughs> out over a chair. Like they go oh, hard C- over that chair. Cece fucking nails nails Ghostface right in the goddamn face with that like flower vase. I will maintain that I think Ghostface not being invulnerable, like not being this Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers type, this part, like Ghostface always being someone who can be at least momentarily thrown off or defeated or fended off. Like, I don't think it makes Ghostface so much less frightening as it heightens the mystery of like, oh, okay, this is a perfectly normal human behind this mask and therefore it could be any of the characters too like this scene Gail tries to like ambush uh, uh, Sydney with an interview between her and Cotton Weary and Leah Schreiber just cannot not seem like weird does it feel to anyone (laughs) else that at all times he's running through every anger management mantra like all at once (laughs) yeah even as like even as he's telling Gail, like, look, we weren't supposed to do it this way. Like, I, I just wanted to, like, really do this. And you promised me. It still seems like he's, like, he's just that close to just stabbing somebody. Like, he constantly, he has the unique energy of a man who shouldn't have been in jail, but is ready to go back at a moment's notice. <laughs> yeah, I feel I so bad say- for him, but, like... I don't know. I just feel bad for him. Completely innocent in every way, while also being the scariest fucking character in the movie by a way scarier than the fucking killers. It's like a dad who's trying to get to know their kid. They do love their kid, but their kid has brought them to a pride parade and they just don't know what to do. It's the fucking like, hey, maybe I'll save your life if you agree to a Diane Sawyer interview. Yeah, okay, he's more of a sociopath than that. Yeah, like that whole bit. (laughs) <laughs> and then he was like oh I, I was just faking it i mean like i just figured like hey why waste a good opportunity i'm like okay but that's worse you yeah get why that's worse right yeah yeah dude is a sociopath he just hasn't committed murder oh yeah you guys are too hard on him see to me i'm like i feel bad for him because the movie wants us to think he's the killer or that he could do something like that and i'm like 
he's harmless like he just has some problems some you know he just got out of prison and so like, that moment at the end with the the gun and diane sawyer i'm like i gave him the benefit of the doubt where i'm like i feel like he's kind of being funny in that moment like that's not really I'm a talking. time to joke though i know but he's, it's he's a like, movie he's got real boo radley vibes man <laughs> Like, or he I, just sucks. I think so maybe he didn't kill of... somebody, but he is still very creepy. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think he's honestly one of the strongest parts of the whole movie. I think he's as a sequel. I think he's like the strongest thing that like this movie has that there is no equivalent for in the first movie. He is someone who I never really thought of as like a possibility to be Ghostface, but. What I love about him is really how the movie uses him as this really unpredictable wild card. Yeah, he is He is a good wild card. Neo Schreiber as an actor has a level of intensity that I find unnerving. Like, Liev, like when the killer's like, hey, what if you just join me for shits and giggles? Liam Schreiber has the kind of energy where I'm like, shit, you might. I don't fucking know what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, of course... Uh, Sydney's showing that she's uh, she's not down for any of this shit, and she's she's done being taken advantage of because she fucking clocks Gale in this scene again. Again, and then yeah. Joel's amazing, like yeah, I got that on tape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she goes she goes down like a ton of bricks. Um, Bam, uh, bitch went down. Yeah, and then, then of course after <laughs> after Sydney has physically hit hit Gale, Dewey comes in with the emotional punches because. He wants her to know that he read her book and he really doesn't appreciate the way that he was portrayed in it as, you know, goofy and dewy-eyed and uh, incapable. Mediocre! <laughs> I mean, she keeps saying this isn't like, this isn't Mike Dewey, buddy. She ain't wrong. Now, are you guys still on Team Dewey Gale? A, a lot of people, a lot, I say, a lot of people, but not me, like ship dewey and sydney and i'm just like no no that's that's a total surrogate brother sister bond right um so i think we're in the the next act of the film which is the pop rock act we've already gone to the goth rock act so now we're at pop rock and uh we're at the sorority party yes because that's when timothy elephant finally remembers that empire strikes back is uh, the better Star Wars movie than New Hope. And Randy pulls out like, ah, you activated my bullshit trilogy trap card. <laughs> and then somebody somebody says, Start oh, the, the Ewoks. Uh, one, one of the sorority, I think it was De, De Rossi. This is where we get that, I like, hello, honestly, I mean it, line, which, again, what a crazy line for a nothing of a character in the hands of... An actress that it makes me so sad we don't see more of because she's incredible. Yeah, throughout this whole movie, every time her and Rebecca Gayhart popped up, I was like, they're gonna get killed, right? Like they have to get killed in this movie. Like the two the two ditzy sorority girls who keep showing back up, somebody has to kill them, right? Like... There is as far as I'm concerned, she's there under a fake alias, and there's nothing to make this movie not canon with Arrested Development. Like, there's <laughs> nothing about her character that doesn't read as, like, Lindsay Funke. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, okay. if they had popped up more, they definitely would have died, for like, sure. Again, she has, like, two, three lines, and she crushes them. 
She's amazing in this. Yeah, meanwhile, I mean, uh, Cece, old uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, is across the street at her sorority house being the sober sorority sister, which I'm not sure why they need a sober sorority sister if the party is across the street. But Maybe there are multiple parties? Yeah. Um, Maybe they need to drive across the street in their Lamborghini. But she's and the, hanging out flipping Omega through all the Beta scary movies Zeta? on TV. Yeah. So, I love that. Just rose off the tongue so well. Omega Beta. Yeah, she is. Uh, she gets a call from the uh, the killer. Has a significantly long conversation with him before uh, you know before this shit goes sideways. Um, you know, we get sort of a fake out of one of her one of her sorority sisters actually being home, and then you know she figures out the now she is alone with the killer. But we see sneak in in the background. That's, that's <laughs> I one of the things love I that. love about Scream is their like commitment to having somebody go in the background like you can hear the sound effect of them speaking just about um i like the technology use here like going on that again where she can't get too far away from the the what would you call it otherwise the phone the starts base. to break up the, the, the base yeah. of yeah the transmitter yeah. of the of the cordless like, phone. I remember that when I was a kid, and I'm like, oh, that's just so clever, and like another good way to utilize the technology. I actually had one of those in my dorm, and I would like leave the dorm and go into the quad, and it actually had enough range that I could go into the quad and talk on my phone in the middle of the night in the quad and not have to like wake up my roommates. Um, yeah, that I could was just about a... make it to the balcony of my my suite before mine cut out. So yeah this is but also so one it must be really annoying to live in this house in the sorority house because apparently they only have one phone line um and that means everybody's phones everywhere yeah so everybody's room has a phone so whenever anyone calls for anybody the phone rings i mean i guess that's 90s right which they've already said have they already had the line you know this is the 90s isn't the time to play hero in a movie or some shit like that she has one of those clear phones that has like a clear body and then you can see all the phone parts. Did anyone have one of those? Oh, I love, I oh my God. They had the like the Mac computers they had that for the Game Boy. That yeah. was the dopest, the, like the clear Game Boy. I love that. That's no. that's some great 90s, like pl- clear plastic technology aesthetic. Yeah, it was it was like 90s cyberpunk, like late yeah. 90s or mid 90s cyberpunk. Like, look, we got wires, we got chips and you can look inside. It's like a computer guts. Yeah, you get to look. It's like looking at the uh, the display cabinet in San Jose's um, technology museum. Like you just everything's like hyper color phone parts. <laughs> I want I want to talk about this Sarah Michelle Geller bit, though, because. I feel like that the existence of true crime podcasts, I shouldn't say the existence, I should say the the ubiquitousness of true crime podcasts has definitely affected how we see murder in media. Because now everybody's not like, there are all these different things well, what, you should not do list. What are the odds that Scream 5 involves a true crime podcast? It fucking better. I'm Very just saying high. like, if it's trying to <laughs> look, but yeah. That, like, that sounds like something Gail would do. Gail would start her crime podcast. I'm sorry. Oh no! I'm just saying. Well, Gail, Gail certainly would. Um, But uh, all the things that Sarah Michelle Gellar does, like all the information that she um, that she volunteers in this scene about, like, yes, I'm home alone. This is why I am home alone. I had that in my notes too. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Saying you're alone? Are you out of your goddamn mind? This is where all the hiding places in my house are. Um, Also, I, you know, who were so where all the weapons are and aren't. 
I feel yes. like Sarah Michelle Gellar was their Drew Barrymore for this movie. That they were like, yeah. oh yeah, they were like, oh, of course the guys from the opening are gonna die. We can't pretend that Jada Pinkett isn't gonna die as soon as she shows up in the opening. That's part of the the formula now. But even though she's Sarah the Michelle Gellar, she's definitely gonna be like a second final girl, right? Right. Um, and the and fact that it came out right after a, that, like, yeah. And then she proceeds to have a full on Black Christmas running up two flights of stairs in the sorority house to like put herself in the worst possible situation and then get like stabbed and thrown off of the house like like we have such expectations of sarah michelle geller at this point from who she's yeah. played and other things that like she just volunteers to die in this movie she is like oh yeah. um sure i'll run from you there is a whole party of people right across the street but I'm going to go up the stairs and then I'm going to go up more stairs. I'm right. going to go up the <laughs> attic where they're like, there's no possible way I can get away from you. I'm going to die, but I'm going to get my cardio in first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I seeing mean, her die. Trying- yeah, because she plays such a powerful character on Buffy. And like that, I think part of the, I know what you did last summer was that like, you know, people expected her to live and then they just do it again here. And it's like, yeah, I like Jeremy. You're saying like maybe they were people just would think they wouldn't do it again so soon, but nope, he did it again. Very yeah. never underestimate Indoor this man's baseball. capacity to kill Sarah Michelle Keller. Uh, she deserves better. She does. Um, and in the I, and but I just think it's interesting that like you know you have a film about how murder is affected by film. And now I'm thinking, like, now that we have true crime podcasts, so, like, everyone's listening to true crime podcasts, now murder's going to be even harder for people, because now we're like, you know, fuck politeness, don't go in the woods alone, etc. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so th- this has to be Mickey, right? That, like, literally yes. heaves her off the top of the building. <laughs> like, there's no oh, way. Oh, yeah, because. No way Lori it... Metcalf heaves her off the building. Because she said you have a hard on for Cameron. Was she talking to him in film class? Yes, like, because he was the one who said right. Aliens was better. And right. Randy so was he like... hates her. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and he's probably homophobic, so... Presumably it's uh, salt across the street in the next scene where uh, word reaches the sorority house that somebody has died across the street. So everybody goes to go check out the body, except for Sydney, who uh, is not so excited about dead people uh, for, for some reason. Um, but then and the we phone get red, starts right ringing. Hand. Yeah, and then red, white, right hand plays again. Yeah, it, I mean, once you paid for it, why not play it multiple times, right? Uh, yeah. At this, then the phone starts ringing, and Sydney has the morbid curiosity to go back and pick it up as everybody else walks out, and uh, you know, the the killer is on the other line and threatens that they're gonna kill her. And uh, she's like, well, let's get it over with. Why don't you just fucking kill me now? And they're like, cool, let's. And they bust <laughs> out from behind one of the door and doors and chase her across the uh, the house. Um, she manages to get out and find her, uh, her very straight boyfriend, who then is like, let me go back in and fight the killer for you. Um, and just Dudley do writes his way back into the house um, and is promptly stabbed. And then the killer runs away. Like a big old dope. Because yeah. cause Mickey couldn't do it. Or no, uh, Debbie couldn't do it. Yeah. Either Debbie Debbie's couldn't do like, it or it doesn't fit Debbie, whatever thing they're doing with names. And One of know. them, I feel like they both leave a hint around here because 
Debbie has her like, oh, I have a thing. I got to go. Bye. Time to be a ghost face. And then Mickey has his whole like, hey, I wasn't anywhere near this. Uh, but I know that that Jerry O'Connell ran back in the house like what a dummy. It's like you couldn't know that. And Cindy even gives him a look like you shouldn't know that. And then she never follows up on it. Yeah, I think yeah, this he's, is he's this using is where... it to accuse Jerry O'Connell of being the killer because he's like, why would he run back in? And why would he get just like this one stab wound on his arm? I mean, he is pre-med. He knows if he gets stabbed in the arm, he won't die. It's like, <laughs> did we pre-med to know that? Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure I had a pretty good. I had a pretty good idea that if somebody cut the front of my forearm, I wouldn't die. But I'm I'm no doctor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Dewey's like that's suspicious. Well, and then I think this is where we get the 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 '90s is no time to play hero line. Um, and then I was suddenly just very inspired that the uh, <laughs> the killer was actually this doctor who's very cheerful and nonplussed about you know this attempted murder. Um, and she's like. Looks fine to me. Gloves. Goodbye. Yes, and Dr. Wes Craven walks by in the background as well. Both, we did both see... Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson are in this movie. Kevin Williamson is, is the interviewer earlier talking to uh, Cotton Weary in the first scene. And then, yeah, Wes Craven is walking around being a doctor in this scene. And we do see the Freddy sweater um, in Neff Campbell's uh, dorm room in the very, very beginning. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Good cat. Um, so yeah, they, they start to have this, uh, thing where, you know, the, the suspicion around Derek is starting to drive a wedge between him and, uh, him and Sydney. Everybody's suspicious of Derek. Um, Sydney gets two, two detective escorts to walk around with her. Um, they do get names. They don't matter. Um, but they also get, um, their, uh, brief descriptions. Their zodiac signs and um, one of them is married and one of them is gay yeah (laughs) representation (laughs) (laughs) we do bizarrely get kind of confirmation of when his last words before being violently killed are don't ask don't tell forgot about that oh fuck i didn't even i didn't even like make that connection because the other i was so busy trying to get over the fact that the other guy was like if we told you we had to kill you and i'm like that's the worst thing you could ever say to people that are trying to escape a murderer Uh, like come on like all right yeah so derek decides it's it's a whole way to win his uh, his traumatized girlfriend back is to do a full-on dance number in the middle of the cafeteria and uh sing okay i guess i mean i guess he does fine um apparently this is apparently this is the scene that everybody had to read to audition for this part so um you have to be able to to stand doing this whole bit Um, i thought it was charming (laughs) okay (laughs) a lot of people are like he's drawing attention to her and she hates it and i'm like yeah but his intentions were good i uh, i mean i'm just mad that someone stuck a dollar in his pants and he didn't take off his shirt (laughs) and mickey mickey of course calls out top gun in this scene because this movie can't reference another movie without actually seeing it um (laughs) without it would not say like without saying hey this is a reference to another movie um we also get that clip of stab we were mentioning earlier with uh tori spelling playing sydney and luke wilson as billy um that casting is just so amazing 
And they say that Dewey in the movie is played by David Schwimmer, which is, I'm not counting Courtney Cox as a Friends reference because she's there the whole time, but it's the first of two Friends references that aren't Courtney Cox, which I think is is intriguing. Yeah, that Luke Wilson bit is so funny to me. And then we get uh, we get the obligatory uh, Randy presenting the rules of a sequel, which are that it has to have a higher body count, the deaths have to be more gruesome, and never under any circumstances. This one gets cut off in the movie, but it's in the original trailer. Never under any circumstances assume that the killer is dead. Uh, they only kind of deliver at the end of this one. They deliver much more on the first one. Yeah, I mean, nobody, yeah. nobody does. It, that was really a thing established in the first one. They're, if anything, they already saw Zombieland. I always go for the double tap. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and um, they also don't I mean, I will say right now, they I mean they may have they have a higher body count, but the deaths aren't more gruesome. There's one death that might be like slightly more gruesome. Um they, and then the rest of them are just stab. They crushed a girl with a garage door last movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's way more hardcore than anything in this film. They have the guy I think a cop gets impaled through yeah, the head on a, a car. Cop that was crazy. Through the eye. Uh, that yeah, was yeah. hardcore. That was some final destination shit. That yeah, was, he was crazy. like twitching and stuff. So that was like that was on par with the garage door shit. Yeah, that was good. And it was actually more I would say I would argue that it was more gory than the garage door shit, oh, yeah. but other than oh, yeah. bloodiness, you know, like the yeah, like other than that, the the bloodiness was not on par with the original scream. So you know, Randy is wrong about a lot of things. There's something so anticlimactic about someone getting shot in these movies. Okay, no. When the heroes kill the killers with guns, it it's very cathartic. And when the villains use guns, it's unsatisfying. And I don't even know how to begin to fucking untangle the politics of that. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, I feel like, oh, you just used a gun to shoot at Gail. She's fine. You can't kill a gale with a gun or even just like up oh, Jerry O'Connell. Like you just died like a not ghost face death. You, I don't know. Does that make any sense? Or am I just completely talking crazy pants? No, no you, I, I this makes sense. Right. I think, uh, yeah, the, the politics of that were like only the good guys use the guns or whatever. Or like the good guys successfully use the guns. You know, there's, there's some, there's something that could be construed from that. That is probably not great. Um, but it also is like, on the on the flip side, you know the the heroes have that sort of point and click button to kill, whereas the killers are like blood and stuff, you know, and they're a lot more, I guess, primal. Um, so you know, and so there's a couple angles that you can uh, that you can um, yeah. view that from. To me, like again, like when Timothy Oliphant is using a gun, I'm like, oh, Ghostface didn't use gun, like that's cheating. Yeah, you have to you have to use knife. That's the rules. <laughs> yeah next thing you know jason will be using a gun and that's no good Ready can jason be... even get his unless, in the trigger unless it's a mini gun in which case it's awesome <laughs> there you go <laughs> that's the thing it has to be like a flintlock or some shit Can we get that jurassic park crossover <laughs> <laughs> it has jason to be what, like dinosaurs a... yes! dinosaurs with the mini yes! gun but it has to be a crank one Freddy it can't be like jason a... versus dinosaurs yeah, Civil War era Gatling gun. <laughs> this is all I want. But or or, it's okay if he has a gun, but it has to be like his arm. Like he has to have like a cyber gun. Like that's the only time that a that a killer can have a gun is when it's like their arm. 
this feels like the kind of story that like DC's Frankenstein would have. <laughs> where it's what if Frankenstein was also Hellboy? And also fought dinosaurs? I don't I'm know sure if he's fought dinosaurs, fought dinosaurs, but he's he's yeah, Hellboy's he's a, totally fought dinosaurs. He's a character that feels like he could very easily like if you oh here's Frankenstein number one and you open it up and it's just like oh he's just fighting dinosaurs on page one. Like sure, that makes sense. Why wouldn't that be his default? I mean that's what Hellboy does. Yeah. Yeah. Um okay, this is the so point where we have the actual scariest scene in this movie, which is where she is playing Cassandra in this uh this play and there are lots of scary people in masks going around and it's unclear whether there's actually somebody in a ghost face mask or whether she's just imagining it and uh she's freaking out and having serious PTSD and the director's like good good you're giving me good energy again um, Gus Gold you fucking monster <laughs> why do you seem like you're traumatized I love it yeah are you, Did you- did you pick this play for her trauma? So do you guys think Full masks? Gus Gold, you fucking monster. Was Ghostface really up there, or was? Or, I believe I was, Gus yeah, Gold put some ghost face, some fake ghost faces in the crowd specifically to fucking trigger PTSD. That fucking monster. That bastard. Oh my god, I totally missed a very important scene before the Cassandra bit. Oh. Where that Cassandra bit is. You're right. Absolutely. The scariest part of the movie. Yeah, no, the Cassandra bit is very scary, but there's a scene before that where um, they talk about the who's the suspect and they talk about Candyman's daughter. She's sweet. She's deadly. She's bad for your teeth. I was so ready to have Jamie Kennedy. Like, I wanted Ghostface to just pop out of a like a fucking potted plant and just slit Jamie Kennedy's throat right then and there with that line. Right. Um, and then I there's a, hated it so much. There's a bit where Gail tells Dewey to smile more. So, <laughs> yes. I really think this is important because I, now, now we have Gail is like the toxic masculinity person. Gail is toxic masculinity. Oh my, there's like a person is murdered and Gail's reaction is like, I will never be scooped. How dare you imply I will ever be beaten in the cutthroat world of journalism? Yeah. And that whole bit where she's like, I feel bad. Like, <laughs> I feel emotion. I think it is like for her to succeed in her job, she's had to be that unsympathetic and smiling, smiling. Like, so I don't know. I, I just see. Those oh, I'm, I'm definitely with Emily. That was, I definitely read that. I'm like, yeah, Gail, you're just realizing you're a fucking sociopath. You think? Oh, I, I think, think so. I, 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 TJ, I will always err on whatever's the funniest interpretation. Okay. I mean, Gail is, I still think Gail's badass. Like I still love Gail as a character. And, and for reasons that we discussed last time where she's just like, it's, it's cool that she's unlikable but she has an arc and stuff like that. Like she, she comes through it. She survives it. And in this movie, she, she still is on kind of that track, but the, the, the fact that she tells deputy Dewey, who is like, well, baby himbo and tells him to smile more is so fucking like, it's a cherry on top of that. Like that made me love her because I'm like, wow, you're doing like the, the hot dude thing that the hot dude does <laughs> to the girl. Like, and you know, you're the, you're the hot dude that's supposed to be like cool, but is obviously a sociopath. Um, and you know, we're not making any bones about it. Like she's fucked like in terms of 
you know, her, oh, yeah. her morality, but she still is. You I know. love the feeling speech she has because you could take that speech word for word and give it to Vision and it would still work just <laughs> fine. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, so back to the Cassandra thing. I just really need to talk about the smile. Also, kit. is anyone else disappointed we didn't get to actually see David Schwimmer as Randy? Yes. Oh my I, God. Am. I mean, simultaneously, yes and no. Less David Schwimmer is good for me, but also uh, I feel like David Schwimmer as that character is the perfect horrible fit. Um, it's it's, it's oh. black. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, David Schwimmer as Dewey, which it's like I'm kind of down to see anyone but Jamie Kennedy play that character. Yeah, like I want to see it. It might be better. Odds are it will be. Maybe it's in that cut in the lot in the safe somewhere. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is. He is played by Seth Green because I time, was need the guy to know. If they filmed Luke Wilson with the doing the corn syrup scene, oh, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, but the thing, yeah, blinking out the fingers. I need to know if they filmed Luke Wilson doing that. How about this? Luke Wilson as Billy, Owen Wilson as Stu. Uh, <laughs> so this is the brilliant part of Into the Screamiverse is we bring back all of the ghost faces, including like. Hi, I'm the actor who plays Peter Parker. It's like we bring back, but like Luke Wilson as Billy Loomis as Ghostface. Oh he's my like, god! It's a collection of all of them, and he's just there, and he's just like, I just played the killer in the movie. Actually, that would be a fantastic twist if they could pull it off to have like Luke Luke Wilson as the actor who played Billy in the movie come back and be a ghost face because he's pissed off that his like you know his his uh lights gone out you know and then no, not even that this is just some like cosmic council of ghost faces where it's just pulling from like all the ghost faces from different points in the timeline and just gathering them together secret war style <laughs> and one of them is luke wilson as billy loomis and he's just looking around being like i didn't actually do that i just played the killer i wasn't actually a ghost face and it's like close so enough it, dude. close enough it's some grant morrison shit okay um, i hate to reference old school but i feel like luke wilson will ferrell is the combination for the the stew and billy movie version yes okay. oh my yeah. god will ferrell's got Maybe will ferrell can ferrell. do that like manic yep. energy for for the the stew character yeah. i dig it emily i do really like that theory though because like right now there's all these theories of like Maybe Billy lived and he's going to be the killer in Scream 5 or his daughter or some bullshit. And it's like, if it was his actor yeah. from the movies, yeah. that would be so funny. And if it, it also would be Luke Wilson. I also, do. it's always hilarious to me when somebody shows up in a movie and they're playing themselves. And like all these other people who are actors are like, oh, it's Luke Wilson. Hello, Luke Wilson. <laughs> Luke Wilson is as famous or less famous than most of the people in this movie. It's like Timothy Oliphant in The Good Place, where he shows up as himself and uh, uh, flirts with the judge. Oh, man. I am legitimately hoping that Matthew Lillard, uh, Stu, is still alive and shows up in the new one. I hope so, Me too. But too. Matthew, I've, I think I've talked about old Matthew Lillard and how it's uncanny um and it may have just become maybe like if i watch him more maybe the the uncanniness will wear off but like it also was in the twin peaks which is like why is matthew lillard here 
I don't know. It's but do you mean Matthew Lillard doesn't look like a person? Because he is still a person. He looks like someone photoshopped Matthew Lillard's face on an old man. I've said this before. <laughs> like it I love Matthew Lillard. I will always I will always love you. Um and what am I so afraid of? Afraid of I'm not sure of I love Matthew Lillard. I see what you did there. You referenced the song from the movie. Yeah, like the movie, we have to point out our references. But the um, I can say this impromptu musical number. It's after midnight still reigns supreme. I can or impromptu karaoke. (laughs) I actually don't know the rest of the song, so I can't. I think the last time I heard that song in a movie, it was Coneheads. So there's that. The only thing Randy does in this whole movie that I like is that in the scene where he, (laughs) aside from Die, is that when Ghostface is calling him and asking his favorite horror movie, he answers Showgirls. That's the only only Randy line that got a legitimate laugh out of me. I snorted. Sydney is like having a breakdown and then Derek shows up randomly and she's confused and... She's like, I want to be alone. And that's where Derek is like, well, I guess I'm supposed to be understanding. And I'm like, yes, Derek, for you are. Starters. <laughs> Fucking Phrasing, shit. friend. Yeah. Meanwhile, because this is the same time Randy, Dewey, and Gail are sitting on a park bench in the middle of the quad trying to figure out who it is that's uh, killing everybody. And um, they get a phone call from the, uh, from the killer who is threatening to kill all of them. And they give Randy the job of uh, keeping the co- uh, the killer busy while the rest of them go hunt around the quad to try and find the person talking to him on the cell phone. Which they got some real like Keystone Cops action going on between the two of them. They just like full on tackle a dude. They're pulling cell phones out of people's hands. Yeah, these and cell phones. I mean, these are these are '90s cell phones too. They're like the size of toasters. It's um, a good thing Jamie Kennedy dies in this scene because otherwise, like, someone would be charged with assault. Yeah. Okay. So, f- well, first of all, there's a bit where um, some naked photos are referred to online or referred to na- yes. online naked photos where it's Courtney Cox's head on Sh- Jennifer Aniston's body. And I'm like, okay, count two. How many more Friends references are we going to get? That I mean, that's a reference was- to real life, too, because there, there was Photoshop pictures of Courtney Cox that showed up online. I like I mean, when Gail answers the phone and she's like, they're like, who is this? And she just says her full title, like Gail Weathers, the author of blah, blah, blah. Right. <laughs> is this specifically when Joel nopes the fuck out of the movie until it's over? So. Yeah, Joel goes off to get a snack. Yeah. <laughs> in well, this he's, scene. One, he's one verb away from vacating these premises. <laughs> yeah, he's literally like, he's going to go get something to eat <laughs> to fix his blood sugar while they sit there and talk about this and try and figure out what they're going to do next. And uh, literally, like, while he's gone, Randy gets killed. And after he comes back, he's like, you know what? I'm not hanging around here anymore. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah, this whole scene is where they they seem to think that cell phones work like walkie-talkies, where, like, obviously whoever is calling you is in with, within your line of sight. And I know well, that like the killers... see them. They, they make reference to, like, what they're doing, and the three of them are there. Um, but but like, they don't think... They don't think that anyone could be in any of the nearby buildings. yeah. Yeah, and, and look, there's fucking Randy look, keeps backing up blind toward that van, and I'm just like, obviously it's the van. Like, obviously yeah, the right. person is Emily. In the van. I mean, when you think about, it, have you ever seen cell phones work through glass and walls? I mean, some of those. Okay, I will say it is a college, and a lot of college buildings are made out of like five layers of concrete. 
So not a lot of good reception, especially in the days before the 5G. Even again, you're it's the, they're again looking for someone out in the open with a cell phone when it's someone fucking in a in a vehicle, which That's they're not true. even looking at. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't I don't think they really understand how cell phones work, but you know, um, definitely not. I mean, I'm in the really next hoping scene we find out that they know how computers work. Uh, from 1988. <laughs> Man, I'm really hoping in Scream Five, it's just like texting like knife emojis. <laughs> I love that, like. Nev Campbell's on the on the computer, and this thing's like barely good enough to do Oregon Trail, and her fucking screen <laughs> goes nuts, and she's like, "What the fuck?" And somebody's like, "Oh, it's an instant message," and I'm like, "That thing is is like, that's punch card instant message right there." Like, it's fucking Somebody Matthew Broderick is on the other side from some other computer in the library, which I was like, I I don't remember anything like this ever happening. Yeah. Not, it's not a collaborative system. Why would they have this? Yeah, and like fucking Matthew Broderick's trying to play thermonuclear warfare with her. I love that Mama Loomis was like, I got a bit slash or knife happy because <laughs> he insulted Billy. And I'm like, oh, I love that. <laughs> that was good. That was some good shit. Am I making That's... it up or does Joel come back at the end of the movie? No, he does. Yes. Like yes. After, okay. the ki- after the killers have been caught in the dangerous past, exactly like he said he would, like a goddamn champion. Well, he did come back here. I think this is where he's like noping out because he comes back with Dunkin' Donuts. Excuse me, Dunkin'. Well, they had the donuts then. There's but... blood pouring out of the van. Yeah, this van, this van <laughs> was terrible weather stripping. Is that another running gag? TJ, does someone die in the van and screams three and four? I don't believe so. I'm, someone uh, does die in a vehicle in the fourth nope, one. Nope, gotta be in the same fucking van. Nope. I don't know if there's any more van stuff. Bullshit. Oh, there, there is some van stuff in the fourth one, definitely. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Give me that good van content. <laughs> you'll, you'll enjoy that kill. Good. So, um, yeah, so now Sydney, Brandy's dead. Rest in pepperonis. And then um, Sydney is uh, talking to Matthew Broderick in 1988 and then the detectives are going we're gonna go look at other computers you stay here and uh, with your door with your back to a blind door and then uh and then cotton weary shows up he's harmless he is (laughs) the most wild cardy of wild cards Mm -hmm. if if that computer had brake lines he would cut them yeah, when he gets real up in Bond Counter. Yeah. Doing his, he's doing his saber tooth level of intensity in this scene. Cotton gets very close to Sydney in the stairwell uh, and is very intent on meeting Diane Sawyer, but, <laughs> but Sydney's not Sydney's not ready for it. Can you blame him? It's Diane Sawyer. Yeah, so they, they arrest Cotton and go back and interrogate him at the, the police station while Sydney sits right outside within view of, of Cotton the whole time. And he is white man privileging all over these cops. Like, oh my god! I think it's supposed he it's supposed to come off as like sympathetic in the time, but it just seems super entitled. There's, well, this... I think he's like, what are you gonna do? Falsely arrest me for some shit I didn't do? Been there. He does have this whole like understandable chip of like, look, I just had a normal ass affair with a married lady, and then her kids sent me to jail for murder, and my life is still ruined, and now I'm coming out the creepiest motherfucker. So, I don't know, I always just feel so torn about coming, because I'm like, you have perfectly valid reasons to be upset, but God, I wish you weren't so creepy and aggressive about expressing that grievance. 
I mean, technically what he did was assault. Like that's what that, I mean, that's the, the legal definition of assault. If it you, is. I mean, and if, if you laid hands on her, that's battery. Like it doesn't matter if he hit her or whatever. Like I can't remember. I think he did like touch her. So that is assault I, and battery. I think he grabs her arm and like keeps her from leaving at one point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's assault and battery, you know, and that's like, he's already on fucking thin ice. But, you know, I, white male privilege. Fucking epic recovery. 10 out of 10. Shut up. I gave you a perfect score. I mean, thank you. So, so Gail and Dewey, uh, now having been abandoned by Joel the cameraman, uh, decide to go break into the gothic ass film school. Um, yeah, I love this most, film school. The most frightening film school. With it's its like, labyrinth. Quasimodo of sound. is in the top floor of this film school. Right. Fucking the labyrinth of sound, like dampening walls. More yeah. technology that doesn't make sense with the recording yeah the the gotta be a vcr somewhere and then like they have the weird like does he have a camera or do they whoever is in the in the ghost face masks do they have a camera i mean they are wearing a robe they could hide any number of stuff in there well apparently they've been following them around with a camera and also were in the van filming randy just before they killed them it's it's really now, given the size of the cameras that they show in this movie, this is the source of strain credibility a little bit here. Now, this yeah. is the part where I'd normally be like, who's editing this footage together? But in this case, Mickey. It's absolutely Mickey. There's no question it's Mickey. Oh, yeah, he's, he's a film school student. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's editing been, like a DJ. Mickey's been in there editing it in between kills. Just... I'm just surprised there weren't more star wipes. <laughs> Let me tell <laughs> in the best if this movie came out now there totally have been star wipes there would have been been fucking like snapchat filters over the kill cams i do think i want scream one and a half fucking period piece that's like cgi (laughs) is that gonna be a thing those lucas style side wipes like yeah it's all scored by uh by john williams i feel like would be like a, if they want to do it like we're gonna be super modern is you don't have the mask instead the killers are just recording and posting their the kills with the ghost face snapchat filter that yeah. absolutely exists in this world and ours i'm sure and absolutely. then it fits in with the franchises not knowing how technology works because of course the cops would be completely powerless or even think to be like can we take that filter off the video and see their face then you're gonna love Scream Four. Oh shit! <laughs> oh shit! I'm um, excited. So Gail and Dewey a- are investigating this stuff and decide to take a break to aggressively make out while doing so because they're like, we look at all this film, we'll see that somebody is there in a lot of these situations, and then we'll know who the killer is. But meanwhile, the killers had the same idea, uh, and they've they've borrowed the other uh, the other. Uh, TV also, in here to just go ahead and play yeah, the their monitor. film of their their snuff films. This is such a flawed strategy. There's like eight people who have showed up to all of them, including them. <laughs> yeah. Also, like the fact that Joel has managed to get like to shotgun Mike the conversation between Dewey and Gail. It's kind of amazing. 
like the and just really good mic work joel you are (laughs) we appreciate that gail was on top yeah no gail's totally on top like it'd be any other way do we we need to do we need to go back to the gail as masculine as like toxic masculinity conversation i think i i think i yeah we're good I mean, granted, a, I haven't it was a seen solid Scream conversation. 4, but if there's if there's not pegging in Scream 4, I'd be surprised. Oh my god, Gail absolutely pegs. Can you imagine, like, with new David Arquette? I'm now I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this, this is also that the film school scene is the scene where David Arquette is, like, working that limp like crazy down the, down the stairs there. And then, it's like... A- as it's this chase begins, wild. He's like, yeah, it sends himself for a, like a full-on tumble down the stairs. Yeah, um, he's like a newborn calf. It is bonkers <laughs> that fall. I yeah, think so. that's where he got his his acting cue too, because like, I I don't know. I mean, again, <laughs> again, I wonder how many takes they did of that. Like, I think he was just like, roll it again, David. <laughs> right. They just kept making him fall. I, I'm like, just picturing Wes on the sidelines going, you know, you don't you don't have to fall down right there. It's not in the script. So like, I mean, like, if, if, I, if you want to, go ahead, I guess. But And that's when yeah, he looked like it really hurt. It's either that wrestling. or it specifically says, and then Dewey rolls down every single <laughs> stair. Like, you put it in the script. It's like, it's in the script. You know what? We probably could find the script. It's definitely out there. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> no, what I... And each time David Arquette's like, I counted. I didn't do every single one. We got to do it again. <laughs> Some of my vertebrae are not cracked. I need to go again. Yeah. Are um, we surviving this movie? It, it's downright. It's almost like reverse Kenny from South Park. It's like, oh, yeah. Then do we just survived however many fatal stab wounds that was? Oh, my God. And then God. after like an hour and a half of receiving no treatment. So, yeah, you like there's this whole Dewey. like them running through the sound studios in this film department where i guess they're i guess they must do a ton of adr in this college film department um and like they can't hear each other through the soundproofing and you know they they see each other through the window and then ghostface creeps up on on dewey and stabs him massively to death while uh while gail watches and then i guess well, then i guess ghostface just runs off well, no, there's an amazing where like she's behind class, and there's an amazing moment where Ghostface throws two different chairs at the glass. It has no effect. Pause and then goes, Fuck it. Clearly, my shoulder will work where chairs failed. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a college. I don't think they spend a lot of money on those stools. It, it, it is apparently bulletproof glass in the sound stage. Uh, but apparently, Dewey can't make any noise when banging on it but then the killer can so maybe that's just because dewey's weak um and baby <laughs> poor dewey yeah poor i mean dewey. when he gets stabbed i'm like why am i gonna watch the rest of this movie now fuck Did this any- movie fuck this the i love that when he survives at the end their explanation is oh he had a lot of old scar tissue that kept him from getting killed <laughs> <laughs> from all the burns that's from the previous time he was stabbed there multiple times by a so guy in a ghost face mask their argument now is that he's just built up a natural immunity to stabbing <laughs> yeah it's like it's like the dread pirate roberts and iacane powder he's just yeah he just got just... stabbed enough i do love the yeah. moment where you don't hear him getting stabbed and like 
I don't know. It's, to me, I'm oh, like, oh, that's a, so artistic. I it's love a it. good, I mean, like, it's an unrealistic level of like no sound, but it's also very effective right. and yeah. cool use of it. It's what I want from, like, if you're going to put me in a location like that, I want to see you fuck around with sound and silence and do stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, she, uh, Gail collapses into tears and then I guess eventually decides to take off and run out of there. Uh, which is the last we'll see of her for a while because you know we do see her run into debbie at the uh the phone booth after uh running out um but meanwhile we get to go to sydney and hallie who are being taken to a safe location by these very useful police officers um that are very funny and clever and polite yeah derek shows up to express and share his his love uh and is shortly thereafter kidnapped by his frat bros for giving out his letters, um, which, like, I guess, man, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, where they then take him back to their fraternity house, tie him to a star, and have women take turns pouring cold beer down uh, a funnel into his pants. Um, that's very- like you do. That's so unhygienic. I mean, who is that for? Beer in the day, like beer in the deck. I don't get very, it. Very straight activity. I, I yeah. guess. The, the idea is just to tie somebody up and make them uncomfortable by pouring cold shit on their dick. Um, Maybe it gets yeah. you drunk faster. And this is where we know that Derek is not the killer. Proficient dick drinker. Because um, no killer would wear those boxers. Hey. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, so where is that scene in Mindhunter where they're like, we have to find out what kind of underwear serial killers wear. Put it on the list. <laughs> Ghostface jumps out to try and kill them. Uh, they don't use their advantage of having a car to uh, now, defeat Ghostface. Did he follow them, or did he just magically know police stuff? I'm gonna say, phone. They're bad cops. They're, yeah. or maybe they're honestly they're good cops and just bad people. What's the what's the difference between a bad and a good? No. He, he does manage to reach in a window and slit a a cop's throat. Um, and there goes our canon gay representation. Alas, his one line again. Don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, this was 1997, and fuck. I mean, at least he didn't. I mean, it's not great for a movie, but at least he didn't make a murder joke to the murder survivors that are escaping murder to go be safe from murder. So it's true. Other cop is monster. Yeah, yeah. But honestly, I think the 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 canon gay cop getting his throat slit and thrown out of the car. Is the lucky one because maybe he'll get to have an open casket funeral. On the other hand, oh yeah, 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 other yeah, cop yeah. Uh, manages to stay in the car and fight the ghost face while he is recklessly driving around in the car. Uh, yeah, the ghost face has now become the driver of the car, which is like a crazy, just crazy exchange. Yeah, <laughs> none of this makes sense, but it's great. None of this makes sense. Yeah, the, the other cop ends up on the hood of the car as they're driving around and then uh, gets a pole driven directly through his skull and his eye in particular. It makes a horrible squelching noise. Um, now I, that is Stabovision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, I, it's awful. Finally, finally I understand. <laughs> Isn't yeah. this how the main character in Hellbent lost his eye? In Soviet movie. Actually, this isn't a Soviet movie. We would know because it would be very long. I mean, this movie was long, but we would notice it more. 
Um, so uh, they crash. They crash the car. The cop is dead. Ghostface is unconscious. Uh, both the girls are roughed up in the back, but wake up to find Ghostface still unconscious and themselves in the back of a cop car, which they of course can't open the doors of because it's a cop car. But there is the pole is enough through the uh, through the wiring that they can uh, pull it back and climb out over the Ghostface because the other door won't open. Um, so Sydney climbs out, and then Holly for some reason survives this um and then well she has a line she says like smart people run like they and she's right they should fucking run well the, the fact that least, they get Hallie out of the should. car like, it's like sydney gets out of the car and then tries to get hallie out and you know there's you any any time any time you can just be like whoop like there's nothing like, I, mean, I don't I know, guess maybe they're afraid to wake up the killer under the mask. You know, they're very they, worried about getting the out horn went off piece. and he didn't wake up to that. Well, it's just like <laughs> either do it or don't like she's like, OK, let's run 20 feet. And then like, ah, I'm going to go back and just check, check real quick. I have to say, go, going back to I know what you did last summer. Kevin Williamson had also written Sarah Michelle Geller's character was in a police car and she easily broke the window in the back seat and got out. So yeah. is Kevin is he trying to tell us something about like about how he escaped a police car? Well, is that a, that that car was was like the detective car because that car was like a boat. Like uh, maybe sort of Cadillac that they were in. That was I just know the door was locked and she had to break the window. I'm like, come on, are these windows do they break or do they not? Make up. Yeah, mind. I mean, I know if you're in a car and you need to break the window, fill a sock up with change and then whip it. Look, it's only a police car. It's not like it's something important like the window to a film school sound. But <laughs> I mean, you can't Those hear things are durable. Um. They have endowments, which I assume, which I assume they use to better school infrastructure and equipment. Not, not. I would assume. Stools are made out of paper. Sydney goes back to pull the mask off the killer, but discovers that they've just left a log there because they ninja the fuck out of that place. Um, And when they turn around, they are of course standing behind Hallie, and Hallie gets an unceremonious, just you know, slit throat from behind death. and she's stabbed in the chest and it makes a fucking rubber ducky noise or something. Like it sounds like she's made out of rubber. And I'm uh, like, that's not cool. So hey, I feel like she was barely a character. Like she was the most classic of be- horror movie best friends. Yeah. yeah. Like, she black was there to be best friends. Black horror movie. Yeah. She was there to be black horror movie best friends. Cindy, are you okay? Hey girl, are you okay? Yeah, like, it just makes me yeah. think of of horror noir and and Rachel True talking about all the ways that she's had to deliver the line, "Are you okay?" She's right? absolutely like the character that Regina Hall is making fun of in all of her scary movie appearances. Yes, yeah, that shot when it just shows Hallie standing there and there's all this blank space around her, and I'm like, he's gonna jump out and kill her. Like, yeah, yeah, you know it's coming. That yeah. whole scene. Brett was so done. He was like, this is not very creative. Okay, and then they're going to get out of the car. And then they're going to come back. Oh, and he's not there. Oh, yep, nope, not there. And then she's going to get... Like, I'm like, oh, you see All this? I can picture is him, like, getting out of the car and then climbing the wall like fucking Vega in Street Fighter 2, looking to get around behind them. Because, like, how the fuck did he get there? Like, they, they were, like, 20 feet from the car. He's in the driver's side. He would have had to, like, open the door and get out. So, like, he must have, like, slipped out the window and then, like, climbed up the wall that they were parked next to. He was doing super ninja moves. 
under the camera angle like no matter what just super, yeah I mean, that's like, what i'm saying running. like they go back and look and there's just you know that log there that ninjas leave when they teleport that's just all that's in the code <laughs> um, i wish we had seen more of the relationship between hallie and timothy oliphant because like at the end you're like oh he killed his girlfriend and but we didn't well, even really I, know oh, that's right they were a thing no i don't think they i don't think they were i think it was just like i don't think they were her. dating Oh, okay. He was like flirting with her, and she was just being like, "No, like okay. I don't think I don't I don't think they were a couple." Yeah, I don't know. It, it's hard to say because there's nothing to her, and he's a little thin as well. Just because, like we said, he's he's there for the first half of the movie, and then for plot related reasons, cannot be around for a good chunk yeah. in the middle there. Um, yeah, and then by the end, you're like, "Oh, that guy! I remember him. He was in this movie." <laughs> um, <sighs> Yeah. Um so so yeah, Hallie gets stabbed. Um Sydney Sydney goes she runs away but back to the campus. Yes. Yeah. Like how far were they from the campus? Guess not very far. But yeah, she runs instead of running like to the police or to another location. She goes back to where everyone knows that she would be including bad killer people. Yeah. I, somewhere in here as well, Cotton Weary wanders out of the place and was like, oh man, I found somebody that had blood all over him, but now I got blood on me. Poor so, Cotton. Well, it's I hard to like, get blood out of Cotton. I feel like if you're Ayo. Cotton, Ayo. I feel like if you're <laughs> Cotton, you see somebody bleeding and dying, you think, ah, I sh- probably shouldn't put my hands all over that. <laughs> Just be like, hey, hey, what? Hey, hold on. Let me paint up my fucking can we, This blood that. is out of you. You should put it back in. He's like, here, hold on. Let me put your... Can we get that scene of just Leo Schreiber doing bloody patty cake with David Arquette? <laughs> <laughs> David Arquette's back. <laughs> if you're, again, if you're Leo Schreiber, if you're Khan, how do you not see them being like, I'm gonna walk the fuck out. I'm gonna. Ooh, you I'm, seem to have spilled a lot I, of your blood. I think I should have mm, nothing to do with this. <laughs> so it's like, Everyone oh, a killer. Yeah, there's gotta be. Uh, I mean, if I just want the scene of Cotton walking in, going, "Not again." Yeah, um, <laughs> he's he's walking in and he has a knife and he's eating a raspberry cake from the Penn and Teller cookbook <laughs> and he has the fucking sauce all over him and he's like, "Oh, oh, oh no!" He David just steps right oh, in the blood and leaves bloody footprints just, everywhere. He's like, "Oh man." Yeah. <laughs> And even he like spills the cake on David Arquette because he trips on him, and he's like, "Oh man, are you okay? You want some cake? Oh, you're all full of blood. Or maybe this is the cake. I don't know. Maybe it's corn syrup." I love the idea of Cotton as just this Mister Magoo type figure who, through hilarious happenstance, keeps finding himself looking guilty of murder. He like comes in with a chainsaw, and he's like, "I was just cutting a cake in half." This is corn syrup. Yeah. It's, it's for my clown bit. At this point, it is also unclear from the editing whether Sydney hears the symphonic music from the from the theater and goes, I'll go there. Phantom of the Opera ass time. Let's do it. Um, or if she just runs back and happens to notice that there's music on there that we're just seeing, you know, otherwise. So uh, you know, she's, she's running through there and they just... Uh, dramatically drop the pieces of the set in front of her which for some reason have real bricks in them i don't know why this i i don't well i think we're supposed to think that they're real bricks they're obviously styrofoam but (laughs) just this whole like oh no not play not theater set pieces 
that are so notoriously sturdy and dangerous. <laughs> like, this isn't a fucking uh, perform, like, or I should say, it's not a, a site specific art piece. Like, it's not going to fall over on you like in Velvet Buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the symphonic music here, scored by Danny Elfman. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Danny huh. Elfman wrote this Cassandra piece that's in both this and when, when she's pretending to be Cassandra in the, the scene earlier. Um, it's acting, they call it. Yes. She's <laughs> pretending. She's pretending <laughs> in front of a crowd on a stage. Um, <laughs> uh, you have a word for that. They lower all the pieces of the, the castle around her, and then they lower the star, which, which has a uh, Derek attached to it. Like, he's nearly unconscious and apparently not in good shape, but presumably he just still reeks of beer, is all I can figure. Um, yeah he's probably just has, has her boyfriend lowered in front of her in in very moist boxer pants boxer shorts just reeking of beer the kills are getting stranger and stranger um, yeah and he has like butts and stuff written all like he has stuff written i'm pretty sure it's uh like lipstick or something but it looks like he's all cut up but and then you look closer and i think it's just they wrote all over him oh yeah like the first time i saw it i was, I was like oh my god he's been torturing jerry o'connell and i'm like oh no it's just frat stuff which i feel like still technically constitutes some form of torture but like lesser torture i don't know where what the geneva conventions has to say about like pouring beer on someone's dick the killer's mickey he's there and he mic drops the fucking sound uh thing the voice amplifier The, the microphone drops the mic he just dropped the mic that's what i was trying to allude to that but then i didn't want to say Mike. Anyway, he drops it and it's dramatic and funny. The end. Movie over. And that's how the movie Mickey wins and he gets the trial <laughs> of the century. Yeah, that's um, why I was like, who is this guy? Mickey's origin, Mickey's motivations is goddamn banana pants. <laughs> also, Mickey says that the the whole blaming this on the movies has been, never been done before. It has been done before. I can't remember the names of the killers that did that, but a bunch of killers uh, blamed The Exorcist and The Exorcist 3. Not The Exorcist 2, but The Exorcist 3. Which, if you've seen The Exorcist 3, that is I, a movie and a half. I like that he says he'll be represented by Alan Dershowitz. <laughs> A reference that I hate is still relevant. Yeah. Yeah. So he uh, he is very excited to test this theory of uh, you know he'll he's the trial is what it's really all about. He's going to get off for claiming that his you know movies that fucked him up. Um, he's going to you know get away with the whole thing and not have to uh, you know go go down like Billy did. Um, and he I... tries to play like he tries to play like uh, the boyfriend was his accomplice the whole time. Like Derek was, you know, there, uh, but he, he gives up on that pretty quickly. Derek is too it... earnest to let this go by, and uh, he goes in and shoots Derek. Um, Oliphant is having so much fun in this <laughs> whole sequence. Once we get the reveal, he is like again. Once the killers get revealed, the actors just get to have an absolute fucking blast and oh, all yeah. lives it up. Yeah, I feel like he's trying to do stew, but like, you know, you can't you can't meet the stew level no. if you're not stew. 
but he's still very fun and like once you know he's the killer if you go back to the hospital scene where he's talking to sydney he just has like these crazy eyes looking at her and like listening to her talk about the attack it's very fun to go back to sadly not as gay but it's wild not as gay every 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 other part that uh that timothy oliphant will play for like the next 20 years Every time he gets super intense, he just goes like this. He growls and he looks very closely at people and like <laughs> grits his teeth. Um, he was in the so, Mandalorian, like, right? Yeah, for like an episode. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and he was basically playing his character from Deadwood in space in the Mandalorian. Less. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I love Timothy Oliphant, but yeah, he's 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 really aiming for the, the rafters on this one. And he uh, reveals his partner who walks in through the set and it's gail oh no it's not gail's just being held captive by his real partner uh it's debbie who's actually billy loomis's mom who uh you know are are, who sydney recognizes immediately um you know and she's she's been motivated by good old-fashioned revenge um and (laughs) immediately uh, decides to go ahead and murder mickey because she's not really interested in all that trial stuff she just wants to kill sydney because sydney killed her her beautiful darling boy and his boyfriend and she she shoots mickey like four times and then she says two birds one stone and i'm like this that was so oh sydney has a really good line in this scene where she says you forgot one thing about billy loomis i fucking killed him oh to mickey yeah, yeah 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 that was really Gets good him with the necklace that's what i'm saying you whip it I also here's the second '90s like self-reference '90s saying that where uh, um, Billy's mom is like, my motive isn't as '90s as Mickey's, which I, <laughs> I mean, I guess says the girl from Roseanne, right? <laughs> yeah, and and while while I guess Mickey's to... going down, he wings Gail with his his gun, and she falls into the orchestra pit, clearly not dead. Um. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. At, at no point did I feel like Gail was in any danger. And I guess and, with '90s, I guess they were trying to evoke like OJ, because the movie like references OJ earlier, like Jamie Kennedy's being like, "Oh, you're gonna be like one of the killers," like, uh, like Dahmer and Manson and OJ. Yeah, well, so the thing is that it's that's not. I have a bone to pick with that because that's not equivalent. Because Dahmer and Manson are in prison for murder. Yeah, OJ was in prison for stealing T-shirts. Yep, um, they got him somehow. <laughs> Yeah, they God. so that was a weird one. So uh, Mrs. Loomis is is chasing uh, Sydney around. They end up getting separated with Sydney on the uh, on the backstage side of it, and Mrs. Loomis on the main stage. And Sydney realizes uh, after she almost gets shot through the wall that she's in advantageous position because all the rigging is behind her, and she can just start cutting shit down with this axe that's up there, and uh, lights and and all this stuff will just fall on. Uh, on Mrs. Loomis I here. love Stacy fucking mouse trapping this stage. This, I will say though, I am offended by the bad electrical work. As someone who knows uh, a lot of electricians that work in theater, the uh, the the faulty electrical uh, like switches and shit that are like super fire hazards. Not not good representation. I really thought Sydney was just gonna get her right in the head with the axe. I think there's a moment where. Mama Loomis is like looking through and she sees her about to hit something. I thought for sure it was just going to go right in her forehead, but no. Yeah, alas, protagonists can shoot. I do like Sydney, like using the stage and all the props, like 
like in the first one she did so much of using her surroundings during a fight like the tv and in her house using the door to lock the door like i love seeing that part of her character that she's so resourceful yeah and this this is really like the part where she she manages to steal the phone and the voice changer in the first one where she's you know calling them from the closet and um is turning the tables again she's so that's exactly. a thing this series is really good at and i think that wes craven in general is really good at of having like the protagonist get an advantage and turn the tables on the the bad guy totally and i think having that scene where she sees Ghostface in ptsd earlier really sets up like the the satisfaction of seeing her reverse like she's owning that stage now yeah, no, that was really cool. I mean, say what you will about burying the killer in styrofoam rocks, but I mean, the, the, as like a diversion tactic, as like a confusion tactic, it was a really cool utilization of that environment. And they they get her, uh, but only when Cotton shows up. <laughs> yeah, Cotton shows up wandering <laughs> again into the middle of a crime scene, oblivious, and is like, oh, I have this gun, but I'm not sure what to do with it. And uh, mom is like, what eh, is here with me? What is Cotton's deal? Like, could he not find like a subway and like grab a fucking sandwich? He's just wandering <laughs> from crime scene to crime scene. <laughs> the fuck you doing, Cotton? Like a magnet. <laughs> he thought he was going to the subway. He's- just fucking just chill for a second. Maybe go five minutes without finding an active crime scene. He heard some music. He thought there was a play. He wanted to check out some local theater. Like... And he did. We don't have theater in my small town. I'll like how, check it out. There's no theater. You're in, in the film school. You're in the theater. Are you just wandering around this murder campus aimlessly? Fucking go back to the hotel. <laughs> He's having a miniature career fair on his own. He's just like, I'm not sure what I want yeah. to do now that I'm out of prison. Maybe I'll make film. Maybe I'll be uh, in a play. <laughs> I've always wanted to go to the theater, see my name in lights. Like, I love him in this movie, but it's utter nonsense that he keeps showing up at these places. Yeah, he's... These are closed buildings. How are you even getting into these buildings still? He picked up the gun and he's like, I need to tell, I need to, to convince Gail that I'm not the killer of Dewey. So I'm this gonna I know, I'll prove to her because Ghostface uses knives. So if I show up with a gun, that'll prove I'm not dangerous. Ugh. Like, so, he has, the, like, the line where, like, Cindy's like, okay, give me the gun. And he just looks, he's, like, completely oblivious as to why she would not want him to have a gun. Like, he well, looks, just, like, doesn't get it for a second. It's so <laughs> funny, because he, he, like, Mrs. Loomis tries this gambit of, like, you don't like Sydney, you can kill both of us, but then you'll survive and you'll be the hero. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not very, you know, didn't really think this one out. Not really, we're not on Hannibal Lecter level here, but, um... Uh, he <laughs> fucking cotton um convinces under basically convinces Sydney to do this Diane Sawyer interview at gunpoint and knife point. Like <laughs> he's gonna fucking talk to Diane Sawyer that, if everybody God else has to it. die for him to do it. I'm yeah. so disappointed there wasn't a post of cotton talking to Diane Sawyer, right? It might be in the third one. I can't, there's something with him talking to someone. It might be Diane Sawyer. <laughs> Just walks Don't in and Diane Sawyer's lying dead with blood all over her on the ground. Oh, no. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Diane, Fucking jam all over him. And he's got a Hot knife. Twist. Like, Scream 3, Diane Sawyer's ghost face. Oh, my God. 
I mean, you can't trust media people. Um, so they they managed to get rid of uh, Mrs. Loomis because uh, Sydney Gale the- rises from her orchestra pit grave to, to <laughs> welcome to your who like um, she reacts it out of there. She reacts to <laughs> this gunshot like someone threw a baseball at her. Yeah, I well because she's unkillable. I mean, Gail. She's her her morality is stone, and so is her skin. Both Gail um, and Dewey, I believe, are immortal, but only Gail is invulnerable. Yeah, she's Dewey not can, invulnerable. Dewey cannot be killed, but he is extremely vulnerable. Yes. Um. So they, I love how they're like Cotton's there, and he and um Sydney's like, give me the gun, and he's like baffled for a second. He's like, oh, uh, sure, and gives her the gun, and then they start like um messing with the uh, the body being like she gonna come back they always come back and then fucking mickey roars up out of the grave behind them and, yes. it's like, ah! and they put must be a dozen bullets in mickey <laughs> they fucking end mickey he, he literally like altered him. beasts yeah in the first one i love that both gail and sydney get a shot in at billy and like this time around it's even better just point blank oh them like side by side just loading into mickey's more pretty more bullet than man now yeah (laughs) and then just like one more into old mama loomis just for good measure right between the eyes right yeah Yeah. um so hooray and And they find out dewey's still alive as they as they're leaving still alive afterthought he is being pulled out on a stretcher (laughs) Gail decides to go straddle him on the stretcher and uh, gets in the ambulance so, with him this time instead of going off to go uh, write a book and defame him. And Joel comes back because yes. the danger's over, just like yeah. he said. Because he's smart. <laughs> so our survivors of this film are uh, Dewey, uh, Gail, Sydney, and Joel. Yeah. yeah. And Cotton. Get ran- deal with it, Randy. You're dead. Cotton yeah, survives too. Cotton gets a really, oh, and Cotton and Cotton gets survives. The last line, which is really kind of, I mean, it's a funny movie line, not a great line for you know just surviving a murder. They're like, what you know, what is it like to be a hero? Uh, which they ask Sydney first, and she's like, Hey, camera, go go to someone who wants you. There's Cotton right there, and Cotton's like, Make a good movie. Well, here's my card. Like, I wonder. It's also like at no point was Cotton ever in danger. He only yeah. stumbled into attacks after the fact. No, like Ghostface never actually came after him. Yeah, which I mean, I guess he that never had to turn things around. He was just like, "Oh, wonder what this gun's doing here on the floor." Is there one character in this film that, like, if you could choose to have them live till the end, who would it be? Is there anyone you're passionate about that um, didn't that didn't make it? I think it would have been cool if Jada had shown up at the end and like from the very beginning and actually like instead of dying in front of all these people, you know, they thought she died, but then she like came in and she was all patched up and she was like, fuck you and, you know, saved Sydney. Yeah, I mean, Jada's just so great in this. Like it's hard. It's it's just hard not to have been like, boy, I wish I had like another hour of Jada. Yeah. Yeah. Or Cece. Now you're talking. No. Yeah. <laughs> I love them both. Yeah. Like, but then that's the thing is that you need a higher kill count. And also the last movie did kill Rose McGowan and Drew Barrymore, which were fucking crimes. 
So, you know, this movie needed to have its own crimes, I guess. Just like how every season of Stranger Things has to have an unforgivable death. I mean... Yeah, I think I this this movie, it did the interesting thing, which is, you know, in the first movie, they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to have Drew Barrymore in it, and then we're going to kill her in the first scene. Like, ah, nobody's going to see that coming. And then this movie, they were like, well, people are absolutely going to see that coming. So we're going to do that with Jada. And then we're also going to do it with Sarah Michelle Gellar later in the movie. You're, you're going to be sure that she's at least going to survive her first attack, you know, but she's she she goes out like a punk. You'll think we won't kill off the, all these celebrities, would we? And fucking watches America. <laughs> now, I will say about this film, I did have to stay till the end of the credits because I needed to see what music we had because we needed to, you know, index this film in, within the times. Uh, just as the first movie had its own moments and the first music movie also featured Red Right Hand. Um, but this one had uh, D'Angelo covering Prince, or excuse me, the artist was not known as Prince at that point. Um, we had the eels, we had Everclear, Foo Fighters, Collective Soul, Dave Matthews Man, uh, Less Than Jake, Tonic, and Sugar Way. Sugar Way. Sugar I Ray. Don't, I don't even know what song it is, but after Sarah Michelle Geller goes through the window and we cut to the party, we get the most goddamn pure ass 90s needle drop <laughs> yes. imaginable. That I'm trying to think if looking, I can't remember which one. I know it wasn't the Eels. I don't know what it is, but it's the most fucking 90s song I've ever heard. That might have been the Dave Matthews man, but I don't know. It might have been less than Jake. Because I feel like I would have recognized Collective Soul Everclear and the Foo Fighters. But I mean, it could have been the Foo Fighters because we're, I think we're in color and the shape. It sounded like all the 90s just in a fucking blender. I mean, the the bad ones. Yeah. (laughs) It was just like, wow, I don't know what song this is, but I know it was sure shit made in the 90s. I mean, it did say (laughs) pop rock and that's all you really needed. Like, when is this movie made? Okay, that checks out. Um, Not to uh, cast aspersions on beloved artists such as Less Than Jake. Um, No, I'm casting aspersions. Okay, then. Never mind. I, I retract my statement. I, I'm casting aspersion singular. I, not enough for a plurals. Just the one aspersion. Yes. Um, I have to say, uh, I had never heard this version of I Think I Love You by uh, Less Than Jake that's in it. But as soon as it started, I was like, is this fucking that, Less Than Jake? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all it must be place. Less Than Jake. Yeah. The closing credits have that collective soul song on there, which is like. Yes. I don't know why. I don't know why she said my collective soul is playing on these closing credits. I mean, right? it's one of the better songs in the movie, I guess. But I feel like for me, no song in these movies will ever top Don't Forget the Reaper from the first yeah. movie. That one's iconic to me. So, yeah, I mean, I... That's, pre- we're, that's pretty much the recap of the movie. I, I do have to say, this ends with a unnecessarily long and probably very expensive crane shot out over the college <laughs> yes, for no fucking reason like, yeah it's just like Wes Craven was done shooting and he's like huh I got all this budget left what do I do let's just pull out over the entire campus for a solid two minutes I wonder if like the college was like hey you know just like that last like 50 seconds can we get that like for our like I guess not website because it's 1997 and not social media. I guess they didn't. They didn't know what the fuck for to do with pamphlet. it. <laughs> yeah, for our pamphlet. <laughs> We're putting it right there in the corner as seen in Scream 2. And then 
<laughs> I don't know. I know, Emily, you sat through all the credits. I don't know if you guys sat through the credits for Master P's rendition of the song Scream. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Which is really <laughs> awful. It's got... It's, it, <laughs> It features Silk the Shocker, which dates within like six months. Like they're only possibly six months, which this combination of No Limit Soldiers could have come together to write this song for the movie Scream, which definitely includes Master P going, Scream! Uh. Oh my god, it's... Missed that one. Oh. It's worth going back just to listen to it because it's can we edit any of so that bad. in without getting it? Can we edit any of that in for listeners without getting hit with a takedown notice? Probably yeah. not. I don't know. I don't know if you can find it outside of this soundtrack. <laughs> can we rip it from? Can I take my phone and record the playing of Scream Two? <laughs> uh. Can we bootleg the hell out of the Scream Two credit song? Yeah, this, this is like. Movie- is so much fun and talking about it has been a fucking blast this song somehow was supposed to be on the credits of too fast too furious and just ended up over here instead. that's what i was thinking because i was like this is the most too fast, this is like the, too furious the most like 90s hip-hop song from like but it's, it's 1997 this song belongs for 1992 like this is like t-u-r-t-o-e in 1992 Okay. Is the scream too feminist? (laughs) I mean, okay. The fact that Gail is there, the 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 presence of Gail and Gail as a uh, uh, a consistent character is a slightly it gives it points. Cindy is a hall of Cindy is still a hall of famer final girl. Yeah, yeah, but the fact that she's helped out by Cotton in the in the end of the film. I do like that Sydney is, as a final girl, resourceful. She doesn't just stumble into surviving out of pure goodness of her heart. Like she's, you yeah. know, taking she shit down. She fucking home alone to that stage. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. I, I, I do like that, and I think that is a consistently solid thing that that Wes Craven does, especially in the later half of his career, is is have female characters who like fight for their survival rather than you know living through dumb luck and uh, male intervention. Um, I mean. And in Gail as well, she doesn't fare that great in the actual fights, but like her existence and continuing to not be killed despite the fact that she is an unrepentant, mean person and and especially the Sydney. Like, I don't think this movie deals with like feminist themes, but it does have some like pretty great uh, female characters. Yeah. And the fact that Gail asked um, David Arquette to smile. Uh, I wish we had more Jada Pinkett. Yeah. Yeah, the, the place where this movie is weak is the intersection of uh, feminism and race because Jada Pinkett at least has a character. Yeah. Hallie is bad. She is a bad character and a bad example. Like, well, a good example of what not to do with a <laughs> black character in a horror movie, especially... Mm-hmm cast them as the best friend have them be completely useless have them do have no real defining characteristics of their own but just be there to ask the white character if she's okay and then have them die a pointless and stupid death yeah like she doesn't even die she doesn't even have the good fortune to die spectacularly or memorably yeah like the last best friend got crushed by a, a garage door she 
just gets knifed on this in the street. Yeah, Jada at least like has her big like scream and fall on the you know stage moment. Jada um, gets yeah. a yeah full on scream queen moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like this movie's when it comes to race, this movie's a real like trying to call out a trope while also doing nothing to defy or deconstruct the trope. Yeah. Just being like, like I feel like this movie's only commentary on race is like, oh, there's not enough good black roles in horror movies. Let's not have any good black roles in our horror movie. <laughs> yeah. He I told think, you. I think it's tough, right? Because I think this movie is constructed in such a way that the the villains are intentionally playing into tropes, right? Like that's part of their yeah. whole deal. And it, it, the same thing is true with, you know, Billy and Stu in the first one um, is that they're like playing into the tropey ideas. So like, it makes sense that they, that fucking Mickey would be like, first I have to kill off a couple of black people because it's a horror movie. So like, how else would you start it? Um, although he never actually says that um, in, in the movie, but yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's would that tough. have made the movie better or worse if he had? I don't think it or, would have changed anything or, for me. Or are I mean, none of us qualified to say that? I think it would depend how they delivered that. Like, yeah, if if he does a full on like Randy like running down of all the rules he has to do to to you know to make it work, um, I think it works. If it's if it's like an off yeah. thing, I don't think it works. It's definitely like, okay, and here are the phases of my plan. I started with this, then I did this, then I did that, and now we're here. Yeah, I, this movie did not as elegantly address tropes as the last one did. I mean, the last one, yes, they, they were talking about tropes, and they, but I felt like they did a better job of it, especially because there was this, this sort of set-up sex scene as the, uh, uh, and, the, and the I'll be right back and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it was a lot more... It, or I should say it was a lot less subtextual, but it was a lot more elegantly done where this movie, I guess, had a an intent that it tried to lay out and then it didn't really succeed at doing that. Um, there's, there's nothing in this movie that so elegantly marries the horror with the meta-ness as Randy yelling at Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween while the killer is in the house, like sneaking up on him. There's yeah, nothing all quite the as amazing as, as fucking bleeding Billy rolling down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, this 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 movie, um, all the meta elements of this movie are kind of ham-fisted. And you know, I mean, this is this is the kind of movie it is. And I'm not um I'm not really holding that against it as much, other than the fact that it like, what's the point of calling out a trope if you're not gonna do something with it? You know, like if at least, you know, like like we were talking about with the um if, uh, hmm? I said cabin in the woods. Yeah, but also with uh, Randy talking, or not Randy, um, Mickey talking about his motivations. Like if he mentioned that he's like, okay, well, I killed these two because of race. Um, you know, I think that would have been still problematic, but I think it would have been just as problematic. Um, yeah. And Joel survives better with how it handles race, but like I'm I'm racking my brain and I'm like. The third and fourth ones, I can't think of a single person of color who is yeah. like none. And like, I think that's something the new fifth one is going to be doing better. The new leads are uh, Hispanic. So, like, okay. Hopefully, it'll do better. But 
don't look forward to anything in three and four. Yeah, well, the 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 fact that there are people of color that have actual roles in this film and character is uh, is a significant step ahead of the previous movie. Right. Um, although Joel, as a character, while he's smart and he does, I mean, the 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 message here being that like the only way a black person can survive a, a slasher film is to not be there. It's also kind of like not exactly subverting anything. Um, but uh, I feel like Joel as a character is a little bit stereotypical too. Um, you know, he seems kind of like the the kind I mean, of. I do appreciate the fact that Joel does the thing that we always tell people to do. Like, yeah, Joel's like, oh, I need to leave. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the only sensible thing for me to do at yeah. this moment. They don't want me dead, but by being the cameraman, I'm putting myself in danger. So I'm gonna go. I, I totally get what you mean about how it's like, oh, he can only survive by not being there. But yeah, boy, is it nice to see someone just for once in these movies finally go like, hey, this is a sketchy ass situation and I'm getting the fuck out of Dodge and then actually do it. Yeah, I mean, it's... the the best way to keep Sydney safe is to get her out of town. Like that was the one thing that we were talking about. Like, so how are we going to keep Sydney safe? Well, you could, you know, she could take the semester off and like Hawaii or some shit. Like, obviously, the killer is here. Um, oh, my God. Can you imagine Ghostface in Hawaii? He's got the mask, <laughs> oh but he's got God. the Hawaiian shirt. Like, I think that's, I know what you did last summer, sipping. too, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you've heard of Jason in the snow now. Ghostface <laughs> in the sand. <laughs> like, she's trying to, like, well, I got out. Like, I'm just so glad to be away from that killer. And then it's just, like, dramatic zoom in. Like, who is it drinking out of that pineapple? It's Ghostface. <laughs> He's like, he's just with like the, the somehow the straws going yeah. through his weird little nose or whatever. Yeah. He has a Hawaiian print robe instead of uh, yeah. yeah. One. Um, okay. Uh, I don't feel like this says anything interesting about class. Do you guys? And yeah. Also no. to the college, everybody's at roughly the same level. Yeah. Um, um Lee, prison seems like a bad time for Liev Schreiber. Yeah. Um, and as far as mental illness and, and physical disability, we have some decent PTSD stuff. And yeah. uh, I mean, we talked about David Arquette's lip. David Arquette. <laughs> yeah, uh, David Arquette's good. David Arquette. I don't know what to say beyond that. It's, yeah. Yeah. At least I, I, I just don't know. I I don't know. It's I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know if he did any research or if he just showed up and was like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um Okay, and here's the real question. Uh, how does movie do for LGBTQIA plus uh, themes and characters? Definite step back from the first movie on that front. Don't oh, ask, yeah. don't tell. Yeah, basically <laughs> that's all we can say about it is don't ask, don't tell. Although apparently Sid can f- pick that shit up. So yeah. good for her. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's nothing with just like that chaotic, sexy, queer energy. Of, of Billy like there's nothing like Billy and Stu like um not sure I particularly want that energy between Mickey and Mrs. Loomis but you know <laughs> it's not there I'm like what's a what's a screen <laughs> yeah. movie if the killers aren't weird and horny for each other um I mean yeah I'm I'm with Jeremy on this one about <laughs> Mickey and Mrs. Loomis yeah I'm <laughs> trying to think Loomis of like sounds like a 50s movie <laughs> Who, who, who in this cast, who would be the most likely to be queer out of this movie? 
CC. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. Uh, there's yeah. no reason not to. Yeah, I'm going Well, with... obviously not. I Well, other than Sydney, who is still in denial because she had that <laughs> Indigo Girls poster in the last one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, her, her last girlfriend did meet a terrible end, so. Yeah. You know what? I'm liking CC as, like, as uh, yeah i'm liking cc as gay as gay even with a very femme present like you know very femme presentation but still very gay i'm, yeah. I'm liking that interpretation for cc i if feel CC like we lived. are overlooking the existence of portia de rossi in this movie though oh i, I know mean, but i'm the- overlooked them <laughs> i mean again i'm assuming that this is literally Lindsay bluth so i have to take <laughs> arrested development continuity into mind for portia de rossi ah uh yeah not much to work with there um but, yeah this was uh, some real this was some real straw grasping right there uh, like our best even the representation movie the straws they're like we think right? one of the de- detectives is gay our best queer representation was like i don't know wouldn't it be neat if sarah michelle geller was gay she's not but <laughs> wouldn't it be nice that's the fanfic we're gonna write there you go I mean, she's not interested at all in the fraternity party. No. At the very, maybe she's ace. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I'm down for that. It's college. Yeah. She's figuring shit out. Yeah, totally. She'd rather sit around and watch Nosferatu. Hell yeah! Um. I mean, okay. What I think would have been a fun, like again, me. if she is the Drew Barrymore, is the way Drew Barrymore like got the question wrong. I think it could have been again. This is just like my armchair quarterbacking, being like, oh, wouldn't this have been funny? Uh, is if Sarah Michelle Gellar just got like a bunch of questions right and then eventually Ghostface just got frustrated and jumped out anyway. Yeah, because she would get all those questions right. She It would be like a fucking Monty Python situation where she'd be like, okay, now here's a question. Have you seen How Sue? <laughs> when I tell you this is a scene in another Scream movie. You're predicting things. That's so good. <laughs> it's like these the movies whole, have a formula. scene of gatekeeping. <laughs> oh, right. Now, do we do we I recommend this movie? What do we tell people it's worth seeing? Uh, yeah, yeah. If you if you're a fan, I wouldn't recommend seeing it without having seen the first Scream. Yeah, I mean, sure. just just not that it's like oh you'll be totally lost, but just it's like it's so much of it is just about being a sequel. Like that that is its theme is it is a horror movie sequel. That is it in substance and theme. Uh, but yeah, no, if you like the first stream, absolutely. I like, I like leaning into the meta narrative of this movie that this movie tells you almost from the beginning that sequels aren't as good as the originals. So it sets your standards lower. It's like, you know what? Sequels aren't as good as the originals. This one's not going to be an exception to that. So just, just so you know, um, just be thankful. If scream, if scream is an A movie, which it is scream is an absolute A Get ready for a B plus. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but is it part of the trilogy? I mean, it's you know, it's no Temple of Doom, but <laughs> it's also <laughs> not true. an Empire Strikes Back. That's also true. <clears throat> it's also not an Aliens. It wants to be an Aliens. It wants to be bigger and crazier, but it doesn't quite pull it off. Um, yeah, it doesn't. No, other um, than the first scene. Well, I feel like yeah. part of it again is like I imagine it's harder to get like bigger and crazier in that traditional action horror way when you're still dealing with antagonists who are entirely normal humans who are still, you know, still bound by 
keeping to the whodunit structure, which again, as a whodunit mystery, I love it. I, I love that this franchise is the slasher mystery series. I mean, that's what we, that's, that's the logical progression for Scream 5 is there's just like 10 killers like coordinating on a slack, you know, just like working out how to, you know, have, have people be everywhere and then kill people all over the place. Nobody can ever guess who they are because there's like 10 of them. Um, it's like a ghost face flash mob. Yeah. <laughs> they just, everybody's the killer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Somehow yeah, it's I all just in a scheme to promote someone's GoFundMe. Capitalism is... Uh, uh, well, all that said, uh, what would we recommend people check out if they enjoyed this movie? Uh, TJ, what do you have for us? Okay, I've been sitting here this whole time like, what am I going to recommend? And I've had so many ideas and I, I want to say them all, even though I'm like, if we do Scream 3 and 4, what am I going to recommend then? But anyway, to start off, Scream Resurrection, which is technically season three of the Scream TV show, which is very bad. But the third season is a reboot, and it's all about uh, horror movies and how they treat people of color, specifically Black characters. Most of the cast are Black or Hispanic or, you know, people of color. Uh, It deals with that. I thought it was interesting. It's not really a great show, but if you're looking to see that explored and have the Scream name, you can check that out. Uh, Scream Queens, the TV show, is what the Scream TV show wanted to be. It's so good and has Emma Roberts and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, uh, and Emma Roberts is in a later Scream movie, iconic. Check it out. And there's some good Diane Sawyer jokes there as well. And then I had I kept thinking of Child's Play 2 because that to me that's a sequel that is better than the original and just is crazier. So if you're looking for that, Child's Play 2 and The Curse of Chucky just has really great uh, disability representation with the main character in a wheelchair. So check out Curse of Chucky. And lastly, I am reading The Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendrix. And this is a novel that basically takes the concept of all the classic horror movie final girls if they were all in the same universe and in a support group. So there are uh, there are meta characters who are based, like one of them is basically Sydney from Scream, but her name is Julia. And her backstory is very similar her her villain was called the ghost. So ah, okay. for a good book, check it out. There's, it's very fun. If you're a big slasher movie fan, I think. Uh, Emily, what do you got for us? Well, um, I've, I've recommended a lot of the, a lot of the stuff I thought about uh, with this movie. I've, I think I recommended with the, the previous screen, but um, I did want to mention cursed again, because that's uh, another Wes Craven crazy one. And that one, haven't you seen uh, that since we talked about Scream? I, I seem to remember you talking to me about this. When you saw yeah, it. no, I, I we watched Scream and then I watched Curse and then um, and I think I recommended it when we talked about Freaky last week. Um, but it's it's the whole it's the same team, and it is as self referential in terms of Hollywood and everything as uh, as a lot of the Scream movies are. So it's it's pretty fun. It's pretty great. It's kind of got the same uh, theme as this movie. I mean, Freaky Freaky is also great horror horror comedy if you're looking for a horror comedy that has crazier kills, um, thrills and chills, and uh, surprisingly tall actors. What was that, Jeremy? I said literal chills. Literal chills. Yes, indeed. Um, 
if you ever wonder if a school has a cryo tank, um, apparently this one does. Um, also, if you want something that just tells you all about the 90s, you just go watch Clueless. Um, and there's another 90s movie that is a lot more like 1997, like specifically 90, 1997. It's not a horror movie unless, I mean, unless you're scared of, uh, of like John Hughes movies, which there's a plenty of reason to be scared of those. It's basically a John Hughes movie. It's not actually by John Hughes. It's called Can't Hardly Wait. It does have Seth Green. Um, and in this, it's basically 16 Candles in 1997 or 1998 um and i believe it's it's marginally less racist than all of the john hughes movies um but uh (laughs) i mean yeah surprisingly for a 90s film but it's another like very um uh it's it's a very important index of those times um and i believe that smash mouth plays a significant part in the soundtrack so um (laughs) you're welcome um and i think that's it for for horror movies other than you know like there's there's some really like there's the anna the apocalypse and and uh um if you want to see a movie where the slashers get killed by everyone else and watch black christmas uh the the remake the most recent 2017 sure ben what you got i am going to if you want another star-studded whodunit movie then go check out ryan johnson's knives out Ah, uh, yes. Or pre-check out Knives Out 2 starring literally fucking everyone, it seems like. Yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis is in that movie. Yes, Jamie Lee Curtis is in Knives Out, as is Michael Shannon and Anna de Armas and others. Yeah, it's a, that Evans. one's had a phenomenal cast. Yeah. Yes, Chris Evans and his cable knit sweater also star in that movie. Um <laughs> Cable knit sweater is my favorite character. Yeah, the cable knit sweater really kills. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm going to recommend. Um, obviously, for for watch likes, I know what you did last summer. Uh, really feels a lot like the Scream franchise. It's a little less meta, but uh, it's it's fun. Has that sort of teen horror vibe. Has some of the same folks as does Urban Legends, which is the the same kind of like. Uh, 90s conceptual um you know series of of horror movies um that one's fun uh i would also recommend if you enjoy the scream movies that you check out some of the other like late career Wes craven stuff uh i know we've talked about uh emily mentioned cursed um i personally love red eye i think red eye is fantastic um i think the less you go into it knowing about red eye the better it is um and uh, I, at some point, we've, we've said this before, but at some point we'll have to talk about Wes Craven's New Nightmare uh, because I love that movie. It is, you know, one of his one of his first real stabs at something really meta, um, you know, because it's it's conceptually about Freddy from those those movies, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, uh, slowly making his way into the real world as he as Wes Craven makes a movie about Freddy finding his way into the real world. Um, it's, it's real bizarre and real fun. And if you like Scream, it has a lot of the same sort of meta context that Scream does. So that's definitely worth checking out. Um, well, before we wrap up, TJ, can you let people know where they can find you and your work online? Sure. You can find me on trid- on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Troy Yeah where I talk about all things book related and occasionally Batman related. 
And then you can also find me on Gotham Outsiders at Gotham Outsiders on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, etc. Uh, right now we're uploading a lot of Pride stuff with uh, DC Pride coming out and talking to lots of creators from that issue. So it's really exciting. That's awesome. Um, yeah, of course, we all highly recommend uh, Gotham Outsiders. It's a great podcast uh, with TJ and our, our friend Chris as well. Um, and uh, Emily, where can people find you online? Um, look up Megamoth. I'm usually Megamoth, um, M-E-G-A-M-O-T-H, on Twitter, on Patreon, on the internet, megamoth.net. Um, online portfolio is there. Uh, Mega underscore moth on Instagram. And I'm on Tumblr and Mega Period Moth on TikTok. I don't have anything tuned. I might do something. And Ben, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at, at BenTheCon. Find links to my work uh, at BenConComics.com. And Renegade Rule is out in stores now. So check that out. And it's so good. Ah, oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58. It's J R O M E 58. I'm on jeremywhitley.com. Don't go there. It's old. Uh, <laughs> but it's there if you want to check out my, if you want to find links to my stuff. Um, uh, you can also pre order School for Extraterrestrial Girls, book two, which comes out this September from myself and Jamie Noguchi um there are lots lots more things coming in the near future uh as for the podcast you can find progressively horrified on patreon at patreon.com slash progressively horrified on twitter at prog horror pod and our website is progressively horrified.transistor.fm if you are listening to this and you enjoy us or honestly even if you don't uh go online and uh subscribe rate review let people let everybody else know uh you know you enjoy the podcast where they can find us uh, that's the only way for us to find new listeners is for you to help us find them. Um, I do want to thank TJ so much for joining us again. It's always a ball to have you, TJ. Oh, thank yeah, you. Awesome. Yeah, love having you on. Oh, well, I love coming back and talking about Scream, my, my, my gayness. <laughs> <laughs> I, if, just so everyone knows, I'm wearing a rainbow scarf this whole time. So Yes, it's very good. <laughs> And we appreciate your scream expertise for certain. I'm, I'm sure oh, they gosh. could hear the rainbow scarf. Yeah. Oh, it was audible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, and thank you as always to all of you for listening. And thank you to Ben and Emily for joining me as always. It's always good to get to hang out with you guys. Um, well, thank you all for listening. And until the next time, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy Whitley, Emily Martin, Ben Kahn, and TJ Finnessy. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own, not intended to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and is provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Support us on Patreon or contact us on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.